It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. It's Saturday, and that means it's another edition of the Weekend Watchdogs. Mike Silva, Joe Bono. Welcome to the program. Of course, if you want to listen to the show live or on replay on this uh, March the 28th, go to weekendwatchdog.com at Mike Silva Media. Send us a tweet. Send Joe a tweet at jbono611. And Joe, it's uh, it's snowing out by me. So although it's spring, there's flakes on the ground. I don't think that's the case over by you in uh, Brooklyn Heights. But nonetheless, we'll get through it. And I'm uh, happy to be back here on the air with you. What's going on? It's been a very fulfilling, gratifying, heartwarming week for myself, Mike. Um, You may have missed it, I'm not sure, but the small local paper where you live, Newsday, um, had my name in in print uh, this week, and and all for a very, very good cause. Neil Best, a media columnist who's been on this show, highlighting the fact that uh, through my work with Isles Blog and our It Happened at the Coliseum shirts, inspired by Eric Hornick, at the time this went to print on Tuesday, we had raised $10,700 or so for Make-A-Wish, Metro New York, and Lake Success, New York. Right. right. As we are recording this right now on Saturday morning, we have now raised close to $25,000 nice. for Make-A-Wish. And it's a good foundation. It's a good – well, first, I'm happy for you because you've done something that I had a fast and fleeting moment with a mention – in well, I don't even think they mentioned my name. I think they said WGBB when I had the John Rocker interview. That was the only time I got a paper. That was the Daily News. Um, but this is big. You have not only Joe Bono, you have a quote. It's for charity. This has come full circle. So if this show ends today at noon and we never have another show and you and I disappear from the media landscape for good, you can say you could walk away on top where I have left. I mean, I mentioned... A little bit wanting. I mean, I told Neil, I said... If you can get in there, obviously, Joe Bono, who hosts a Saturday morning podcast with Mike Silva the oh, weekend, he's going to do that Saturday 10 to 12. But he wasn't, you know, of course, able to do that. Uh, actually, no, I never mentioned well, that. Of course not. But the question no. is, out of the no. $24,620.40 that has been raised, again, for Make-A-Wish, we all know the type of work that Make-A-Wish does, is that $24 plus shipping, is that coming out of Mike Silva's pocket? Have you been one of the... Over I have not bought it yet. I already told you I spent twenty seven dollars on one shirt. I'll buy it if you credit me back for the first shirt. So you could shift the twenty seven dollars from the weekend. We're talking uh, about charity. We're talking about kids. We're talking about trying to make a wish come true for a kid that's fighting an illness and you can't do twenty four dollars plus shipping. Do you think do you think that that one of the wishes that these young kids you know, if they can't get the ultimate one, which is meeting Eli Manning or hanging out with Derek Jeter, you think they'd want to spend the day on the show with us? You know, one of them could sit at your Brooklyn abode over there next to you as you talk. One of them could sit I'm next just to saying, me in this a chance. very messy there's studio I have right now. There's a chance that the difference between being able to make that wish come true and 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 visit Eli Manning or maybe someone on the Islanders is your $24 plus shipping and handling. That's true. So you want me to... Now, the only gripe I have is that, you know, you told me that the shirts don't shrink. The Weekend Watchdog shirt shrunk that we, you made. So I don't know what they made that one out of. That one shrunk. That was a freebie, though. Oh, that, so was, that. That, was straight, that was straight cotton. That's why. That was the... Uh, 
straight cotton. I should have not. Maybe this is. I probably yeah. yeah straight the, cotton. Yeah. So I should have probably not put the, the the dryer on too high. That's probably what happened. It still fits, mm. but I'm not a a, a skin tight guy. Hey, buddy, listen. Anymore. I know it's snowing outside in Long Island, but summer is coming. If it's still a little That's snug, true. you got to do something about it. You can't just say, "Yeah, uh, I'm not going to wear this. And I'm taking this out of the rotation." <laughs> now here's the, the insult that you hurled. You already see you complain that I'm the one that gets quote unquote nasty. You hurled an insult at the Newsday and and the little paper on Long Island. But last I looked, if my math is correct, based on the open here, you had ten thousand dollars worth of donations and sales before the article. You have twenty after, and that includes. And we didn't mention this last week. Two weeks ago, you were on News Twelve Long Island. Well, not you, but Eric Hornick, who's the official uh, scorekeeper for the Islanders since the early 80s. Uh, mm-hmm. They mentioned the shirt. Now, they didn't mention Isles Blog, but I will say, and I'm sure you saw the, the replay or the video somewhere, the, the Isles Blog logo was prominent at one point sure. on no, yeah. broadcast. We had a look well, at it. We, had, we got the first intermission. Stan Fischler right. and Shannon Hogan did a little thing during the first intermission. This has been right. good. See, this is what I'm talking about. That's what I was talking about last week or our show, kind of the yin and the yang of the negativity and the positivity, the good karma and the bad karma. And this, right. this week, I think more so than ever before, kind of showcases that, the type of work I'm doing in the local communities here. And you won't even reach into your pocket $24 per shipping and handling for Make-A-Wish to support kids uh, you and know your what? co-host. I, you won't support I will a friend or the I, kids. I will, I will reach into my pocket and buy the shirt. I, do I have to buy like triple x for this thing to fit me because i mean look it, it it'll and you'll laugh at this so i'm gonna throw this get out a hoodie and she'll get, get i don't even i'm not even gonna my, ask you to get a hoodie hoodie's 35 dollars. god forbid you'd buy the yeah, hoodie 35 actually i might be more into the hoodie because then i could wear that taking the dog for a walk i'll get more use out of that one See, the regular shirt you can only wear in certain situations you can't go out to, unless you go into like a bar to hang out you can't go there my yes, yes, yes shirt that I bought for $27, may I remind everybody, was commandeered by my girlfriend. She's wearing it, and she thinks she looks better oh, in it. Oh, wow. Very nice. So, there you go. So someone who, I mean, she played sports in college, but not a sports fan, believe me, um, is wearing the yes, yes, yes shirt. So puns, puns okay, galore well, with that we, uh, I'm sure. As you know, the yes, I, yes, yes, yes we have this shirt goes through a provocative portion. I'm a female's anatomy, so that's all you can say on that one, you know. <laughs> if she listens to this, uh, that, was, uh, not, that was not thought about uh, when the design came out. But listen, I just want to say again, on the record, uh, for all of us at Isles Block, for all of us at Make-A-Wish, Metro New York, all the great work they've done, thank you, Mike Silva, for your support. Thank you for your donation. We look forward to seeing that uh, number creep up. Maybe your purchase will be the one that takes us over 25000 you could be the it one that be. tipped it over the scale. If it's twenty five thousand two hundred, if it's twenty five thousand twenty three, that would be. I would actually, I hope for that because that would make for, you know, we could do two hours of talk on that. I mean, maybe these kids need like a mentor. Like, I don't want to hang out with them per se, like uh, consistently, but I would spend an hour and maybe I could give them <laughs> advice on not. Here's what I would tell them: A, don't get into the media business because you're not going to make any money. B, don't become a Yankees fan because it's going to ruin anything in terms of your ability to comprehend sports on any level. And C, if you become an Islanders fan, try not to count your chickens before they hatch because the dream season that was is maybe becoming the nightmare that will be. Hey, remember we were talking about 
last week, me being on the uh, Titanic, and I was playing the violin, trying to keep everyone really calm, and they smoked their cigars and had their brandy. I was upset after two after Thursday night's loss to the Kings. I was upset. I, I was the first I team I tra- said, "This is, this is." I go, "This team played the third period like they knew the Kings were the better team, and just tra- tried to not lose the game at home against a Western Conference team." I couldn't. I could not believe what I was watching. And now they play at one o'clock. Uh, so as soon as this show ends, I'll be in Islander mode. Play one o'clock at the Coliseum against the Anaheim Ducks one of the best teams in the Western Conference, and they need to win this game. They need to get some points. Now, somehow, will you watch watch any college basketball, or, like, the Islanders is going to be, like, your Saturday? Oh, well, the Islanders will be my Saturday in the afternoon, certainly. And then in the nighttime, my uh, my brother wants me to come over to watch the Hall of Fame ceremony for the WWE. So uh, that's kind of my Saturday right now, the plans. Um, But, you know, last night at the Coliseum, Maybe maybe you and your girlfriend were there. My parents were there. Barry Manilow no. played the Coliseum. I was not at the Coliseum last night. No, <laughs> I knew that because we about the air, Barry Manilow at the Coliseum, and then the game's at one o'clock this afternoon. I mean, I, you would figure that. Are Manilow you concerned would have been so that they couldn't do the turnover? Are you concerned they couldn't do the turnover? That the ice is going to be soft? Is that going to be your concern? Going to be some choppy ice, I think, at one o'clock. Yeah, you can't have a hot Manilow concert and expect the ice to be pristine. At one o'clock for a matinee the next day. No way. Did they consult with you and the Isles blog on whether this was acceptable? I mean, the Coliseum only needs money. I mean, I mean, why why would they turn down revenue when the place is falling apart? You know, when Joe Bono not, and, and the Isles blog just, needs uh, I'm not to worry about tomorrow's game. I don't think any I don't think any venue should turn down Barry Manilow. My point is having a seven o'clock, eight o'clock Barry Manilow concert. We know all Barry Manilow concerts. That thing probably ended around midnight, you know, with the Copacabana during the encore. And then uh, you got to turn around for one o'clock. That's a quick turnaround. I don't care what facility you are anywhere in the country. A uh, concert with a one o'clock show the next day. That's a uh, one o'clock game. The oh, next they, day. they turn, they turn, they turn the Rangers to the Knicks over in like four hours. Why can't the Islanders do it overnight? Think about it. You have the Knicks at one o'clock. You have a Rangers game at seven thirty. No different when you really think about it. I, I think, the, but the concert stage, you got seats on the floor. I think there might be a little bit more difficulty in the concert to ice rink as opposed to just the hardwood floor. We're taking the panels off, you know, taking down. You know, I think it's a little bit easier that way. My, my opinion. That's, I haven't watched it that's occur. True. I'm sure the game will go on at I, one o'clock without uh, altercation. I don't think the Islanders uh, are going to get knocked out of the playoffs. I, 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 you know, and I'm wearing my, my fancy, very rare Islanders. Yeah, your $60, uh, your $60, $60 eBay hat, hat that did not go to charity at all, uh, you're wearing. No, yep. that's true. I didn't go to charity at all. Uh, we have a, a pretty good uh, lineup today. We have Mike Vaccaro joining us in a little bit. He's uh, out in Houston for the South Region Final, and uh, he'll talk about not only what's going on with uh, with Duke and, and that region, but we'll also talk about St. John's. And, and now that they're looking for a coach, some very interesting names are being brought up. Uh, at 11 o'clock, Chris Corelli, of, uh, a new contributor. He has a, a great site, Yankees Unscripted. Uh, we haven't had a chance over the last couple of weeks to talk about the Yankees because the Mets have dominated the media. And uh, Bob Raceman of the Daily News talked about this earlier this week, how the Mets seem to be the media darlings, not necessarily always for good reasons, but media fodder, which makes us be able to come here on very short sleep after a long week, do our show at 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning. So the more media fodder, the better. But nonetheless, the Yankees uh, were heading to the final days of spring training, and Chris Corelli, new contributor, want to get his take. Very interesting site. And here's the thing that Joe will like, because it's something that I get on Joe's case about. Corelli's motto 
is no narratives. So he does not like narratives. He does not like the narratives of the mainstream media. He's anti-narratives. He puts that in his byline of this, of this site, which may be hard because, Joe, you love narratives. You love bathing in narratives. You love – you fall for the sucker all the time. Then you com- com- complain that I'm being negative, but I'm just trying to help you. I'm not trying to beat up kids who are making a wish. I'm not trying to kick dogs while they're down. <laughs> all I'm trying what to narrative do is save you by telling about make a wish. But isn't your well, motto? No, make I a wish is not a narrative. I'm just but saying you, you your motto. Your motto isn't no narratives. Your Yankee motto is magic beans and pixie dust. That's the Mike well, Silva narr- narrative. At this point, I don't know what you could get, gather from the Yankees because if you listen to Hal Steinbrenner talk as he did the other day on WFAN. Hal must have either a tape recording of himself that he plays after the question is played, because he says the same. Not only does Hal Steinbrenner say the same uh, talking points, he says them exactly. Not many people could do a recording of themselves when they answer a question. You can do the same talking points. You can answer the question the same way. But if you listen to Hal Steinbrenner at any point, I almost feel like you can play each answer, and the sequence... Maybe even the sniffles, those little subliminal sniffs because you're breathing, or the breathing patterns, they're exactly the same. He carbon copies himself, which makes me wonder, is Hal actually on the phone? Or do the the Yankees hierarchy put a tape recorder to the phone and go click? You know, it's like, do you remember, Joe, they still exist. Remember soundboards? (laughs) Remember when they came out, soundboards? You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. There must be a Hal Steinbrenner soundboard somewhere. And, like, someone just sitting there going, click, 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 click. It's hey, at least be. he's an owner of a baseball team that actually goes on radio Agreed. and discusses his team. So well, he doesn't have any Yankee fans. Legal have legal action their owner. <laughs> his lawyers don't have to advise legal him action, not to fraud, Ponzi schemes. Yeah, I mean, but at least Hal Steinbrenner, listen, even George Steinbrenner, as much of a um, media icon he was, an icon in baseball as he was, really didn't do those kind of spots on radio um very often if at all he would send the missive as uh we came yeah. to know it you know kind of faxing uh some comments to the uh, mike and the mad dog show they play the uh u.s army music behind it and read the missive and that was almost more impactful well not almost was it was more impactful than a 15-minute hal steinbrenner interview no, I, I totally agree on that. So, well, you know, if you are interested, there is uh, some college basketball tonight, Joe. The first game kicks off at 6.09. I know you have your wrestling uh, Hall of now, Fame ceremony that yeah, you I mean, want to watch. Yeah, the, so that the Bushwhackers are getting um, inducted tonight. The so, I mean, it depends. Do you realize, and I, I put this tweet out there to break. I did this tweet, and this was sent to the masses, the masses of people that follow me. And I got... Someone I don't even know, someone who followed me, and thank you for following me, but I don't know who he is, you know, got mad at me for this. But I saw the whole Shocking. wrestling thing, and you and Costos and all these guys that were talking about wrestling. And I honestly, and I mean this, you know, I've been, you know, I have a significant other now. I've been married. I've been divorced. I've dated people in the past. But I can get away with a lot of shenanigans when it comes to sports and media and not really impact my relationship. But I do not know if I can get away with engaging and and watching wrestling like you guys do understood it's a male soap opera i don't think i could get away with it like you guys do i don't know how you do it and how your significant others wives girlfriends will look at you and go really because i think that's like the the peter pan syndrome line where you go from being 
an adult who enjoys kitty outlets, which are sports, to are you becoming the Comic Con version of yourself? And wrestling, but it's that not. Be it. See, the wrestling that we grew up with is not the current product of wrestling. It's not kind of this, you know, superhero, larger than life, um, you know, animated versions uh, of things. I mean, they still try to appeal, obviously, to the youth, but the kind of the facade over wrestling being real is gone. And now it actually is. You see kind of a real-life business operation unfold, and those decisions and how they're made and how people kind of come up through the ranks and how they uh, deliver on the biggest stages and how they're rewarded and how the crowd reacts will impact storylines in a person's course in their career. That is all the stuff that gets people That's a narrative. Well, that's a narrative. See, that's the problem with sports is that sports, you can create that, but you can't analyze it based on that. So maybe wrestling is impacting your ability to effectively analyze and talk about real sports. Maybe you need to look at that while you're doing your charity work. Listen, and again, I am not, like you mentioned some other of our friends, you know, the Brian Monzos, the Nick Casos of the world, my younger brother, Nick. Yep. These guys watch every I think the only one that's not really life. my friend is they Brian watch... Monzo. I don't know. Brian Monzo doesn't like yeah. me. I don't know why. <laughs> I have never said anything though, bad man. about Monzo. I've never said anything bad. Uh, it's like well, I'm Brian saying, Monzo. I'm just saying. Go ahead. I'm just Brian saying Monzo that. Is the only guy that gets mad about people criticizing his boss. Like, how many people, if you ran into 10 people in the street and said, I don't like your boss, nine out of the 10 would either say, ah, doesn't care, or maybe have a cursory, like, he's not that bad, or she's not that bad. Brian Monzo is like an extension an affiori- of the show. But he's the extension of the show. He's the producer of the show, and you're criticizing the show. So he's not the one falling asleep on the air. Monzo's not falling asleep on the air. Monzo's not the one that's unprepared. Monzo can't do all of Mike's research. I mean, when you host the show, your producer makes sure you get the guests on. Maybe they throw you a couple of tidbits. There is a concept. I mean, at least in the real world, part of a team, right? There's a concept of being part of a team. Just like, hey, I can't do your research for you. I, I can't, I can't make you. Uh, purchase a shirt for a really good cause, but you know, if someone criticized you, I, I think I would, you would hope that I would come to your defense. I don't when that happens. But you, but don't. you would you hope you that actually, I would you come, hide, to your, you, come to your defense. You hurled at me on Twitter like all the rest of the Twitterites. I've seen you, especially when it comes to pitching injuries and the Mets and stuff. <laughs> I got you popping up in my timeline with the same garbage and nonsense and narratives. The whole thing. I'm like, what's what's like? The, I feel like I don't get mad at you. I'm like, I failed Joe. Because my goal when I brought you on board is to say, this guy brings a lot to the show. He's got a different perspective. He actually is the one person I've had. Uh, you know, well, you're all the one person that I've had on the show with me that, you know, I haven't had many co-hosts that actually knows how to kind of go back at me appropriately and bring something. And most people kind of like, well, oh, let me go play along with Mike. I don't need anybody to play along with me. But I'm like, I do want to elevate his analysis, just like I had my analysis elevated when I got into the business because I was unaware of a lot of, things that go into, uh, I guess, looking at the game. And I say I failed Joe when here he is defending Dan Worthen and telling me that mechanics don't matter when it comes to pitching injuries. I, fa- pitching injuries. I failed Joe. <laughs> failed me. I actually felt I failed you. Now, now that I know you've been working on this charity stuff, I can understand maybe you don't have time to effectively analyze the sport. Uh, effectively analyze. I think my case was pretty well stated last week. You kind of made a blanket statement that, Zach Wheeler's mechanics are the reason for his Tommy John surgery when, if you look historically at Tommy John surgeries, there's really no connection between a mechanics 
and the surgery. There's been good mechanics, bad mechanics, mediocre mechanics, old pitchers, young pitchers, outfielders, shortstops. A whole bunch of reasons are probably part of it. Mechanics might be one, but you can't say something like, well, anyone that saw Zach Wheeler pitch when he first came to the Mets system knew that he was going to have Tommy John surgery. Okay. Yeah, I don't make blatant statements like that. Well, they knew it was probably a high percentage possibility. I mean, let me let me rephrase. You could say that, that about uh, everyone hey. now in the in Major League Baseball when a third of the league has had Tommy John surgery. It is a pretty good possibility you're going to have it. And um, fortunately for the Mets, you know, this is going to be taken care of. Now, the question is, Harvey was able to get 17, 18 months of waiting, and that's kind of the optimum time to come back. He had no choice but to wait. The Mets will be in a situation much like maybe Matt Moore and Jose Fernandez coming back from the same injury. If Wheeler's ready after 12, 13 months in May and June next year, you're going to start pitching him, even though he might not actually return to his top form for another four or five months. Well, we have a lot to talk about. Uh, let's take a quick break. We have Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post. He's out in Houston for the South Region Final. We'll talk about uh, that. We'll also get into the St. John's. Who's the next coach? Was it fair to fire Lavin? I think Joe wants to throw in a Fordham question. I mean, good Lord. I mean, throwing Fordham basketball into the mix when you mentioned Duke and St. John's is like having a conversation about the Mets and Yankees and bringing up the Long Island Ducks. But I will allow you to do that, Joe. I mean, because I oh, am a benign you. dictator. I'm a benign dictator when it comes down to it. Who will purchase a shirt for a good cause? You're listening to the Weekend Watchdogs, Mike Silva, Joe Bono. Listen to the show live or on replay at weekendwatchdogs.com. At Mike Silva Media is the Twitter for me, at jbono611. And we will be back right back with Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Every Saturday between 10 and noon, Mike Silva and Joe Bono bring you the weekend sports with a New York slant. A one-stop shop of quality commentary, hard-hitting debates, intelligent guests, and entertaining pop culture references. Go to WeekendWatchDogs.com for an archive of the latest shows, iTunes subscription, and to contact the show. It's Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Don't miss it. We're back on this uh, spring morning, snowing over here in Long Island, of course, in Joe's humble Brooklyn abode. He's, uh, he doesn't have to worry about any shoveling. But joining us from Houston, has a chance to watch Duke later this weekend, Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post, at Mike Vac on Twitter. Mike, Mike Silva, Joe Bono, how you doing out there? I'm doing great, guys. How you doing this morning? All right. Let's start with stuff that's not related to the current games. Uh, St. John's, Steve Lavin, part ways. Here's my take. I wasn't around St. John's for the golden days of Chris Mullen, but I was there for Ron Artest. I, I saw the excitement when they had the Elite Eight run back in the late 90s. I'm agnostic on Lavin. Don't think he did a bad job. Obviously didn't bring the program back to where people expect it to be. I don't know if that's realistic anymore. Give me, before we talk about the future, what is your take on what Lavin accomplished? That's a great way to describe it because I think I'm agnostic about him too, to be honest with you. Because I look, I mean, he was there for five years, and three of those years are 21 seasons. That's pretty good. I mean, two NCAA tournament bids. That's more than they had in the 15 years before that, for sure. Um, but there was always just something missing. Uh, at least, if you, if, if, you know, I, I thought so watching them, and I watched a lot of their games over, over the course of his tenure. I mean, 
you know, you got this, this 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 great senior class. Look, he did a terrific job with Norm's players his first year. There's no question about that. Even though if they even though they get dusted in the NCAA tournament by Gonzaga, and, and he you know he he built so much around this class, which had you know eight guys at the start and a lot of interesting names, and you know, you know he, he lost some to the NBA, he lost one to, to 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 professional baseball, but he had this wonderful core that played this year, and it was it was it was it was a, it was a fun team this year. But see, one of the things that, that that he said early on is that he didn't want to just build a team; he wanted to build a program, and he, he never came close to that because. You know, he did have this one class, and you know, he had you know Rashid Jordan. He was he was a sophomore, and he had really you know no impact freshman this year. And it just uh, you know it, it just left you a little bit wanting, I think, that uh, you know he just he, he just never quite got to where a he wanted to be, and b where St. John's needs to be if they're going to compete, you know, every year in the Big East. Mike, there seemingly now is a split among St. John's loyalists. Some want them to bring in a young hungry head coach that has a lot to prove. And then there's another contingent that looks at maybe what Fred Hoiberg has done at Iowa State, guy that was an alum, had no head coaching experience, and people are looking at Chris Mullen. Do you think that's even a possibility, and is it a good idea? I think there's a romanticism about the idea of Chris Mullen coming back to rescue St. John's in the Big East. But just your thoughts on Mullen as a first-time head coach being tasked with trying to rebuild this program. Yeah, I think it would be a really – Really awkward thing, you know. I, I, like I, I grew up rooting for the St. John's Chris Mullen teams. Um, you know, he was probably one of my one of my lasting sports heroes. So I mean, from that standpoint, I can't really be objective about him because I would love for him to come here and do great. Because I mean, that would just kind of be the final chapter. It's already been a, you know, a storybook relationship between between him and the school. But you also have to be realistic. And yes, I know Fred Hoiberg is you know kind of the outlier that people point to and say, see, it can happen. But it's been 30 years since Chris Mullen's been around the college game, you know, and and he's been, you know, he he he's he's been a pro guy. He he obviously knows basketball. Obviously, always knew basketball. Always had an enormously high basketball IQ. Uh, would he be a good coach? I think he would be. But I mean, you know, it, it, there's so much more to being a a winner in college basketball and than, than knowing the X's and O's. And look, I mean, he's not going to be a guy who's going to go in and impress players because of who he is because a lot of those players never saw him play and I hate to say it but a lot of those players might not have ever heard heard of so heard of him so you know it, it, it's going to come down to what kind of a staff he can build and what kind of a infrastructure he could build and, and maybe he'd build a good one you know it's not unprecedented for guys to go from you know never having coached a day in their lives to doing well it's just unusual and i think uh, you know it's I, I, I'll be honest. I kind of feel the same way with this as I, as I did a few years ago when Don Mattingly was a candidate to manage the Yankees, an iconic player, you know, working in the employ of the team that made him an icon. I mean, who knows if that would have ended well, and you know, who knows if this would end well with Mullen and St. John's? I, I, I'd be intrigued by it if it happened. It's not something that I could rip, just because I mean, you know, that's how much Chris Mullen means to St. John's. I'm just not sure that that's exactly what, this, what, what, what the program needs right now. I think it needs a program builder and someone who's established and how to do that. We have with us Mike McCarroll of the New York Post, at MikeVac on uh, Twitter. You wrote in the Post yesterday, Danny Hurley would be potentially your top choice, Steve Massiello of Manhattan. Hey, look, even Ron Artest threw his hat in the ring on Twitter last night, Mike, so who knows, you know, anybody. <laughs> but in all, serious, in all seriousness, that is, you know, Hurley's an interesting candidate. Massiello's an interesting candidate. Uh, give me your take. What would you like to see? Take the Mullen romanticism out of it. What would you like to see out of the, the next coach and compare those two, I guess, right now top candidates that are coming out? 
Yeah, I mean, the reason why I'm such a Hurley guy is because, I, I mean, for one thing, I think he's a very, a very, very good coach. I mean, so he obviously comes from, from a great bloodline. Obviously, he had one of the great, you know, basketball internships ever growing up in the Hurley household, playing for his father, playing for P.J. Carlissimo. I mean, you know, having his brother as his, uh, you know, closest friend for his entire life. So, I mean, this is a guy who obviously knows basketball, but he's also got a track record now. I mean, you know, he inherited a terrible Wagner team. And within you know a couple of years, he tra- he turned 26 losses into 25 wins. You know he inherited a team in Rhode Island that had fallen on hard times, 24 losses. And this year they were right there for the NCAA tournament. You know, kind of you know one of the last teams on the outside looking in. A couple of lo- tough losses probably cost them. You know he's established that he can turn things around and knows how to do that. He's also got obviously some 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 some, some terrific local ties. He was a longtime high school coach at St. Benedict's. In Newark, um, so I mean, he's got he 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 has a, he has probably to me uh, the most impeccable resume of any of the guys who would be wanting to be you know to, to get involved in this job. Steve Masciello's had some success, obviously in Manhattan. You can't discount that. I mean, you would think they would want to talk to a guy like him. Um, and and these are all the things to me that I think St. John's needs more than just a guy like Chris Mullen, who obviously is the is 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 the person. Probably maybe maybe only behind Louie and Joe Lapchick, most associated with St. John's, you know, going back a hundred years. So I mean, it's he's a very important historical figure. I think it speaks well to the program that he's you know might actually even be interested in in, in trying to resurrect it. It tells you that you know he's he's obviously established in the NBA and he's got uh, he's got NBA work. And if he's willing to actually think about taking this job, it you know it tells you that that it's not as dead end a job as some people would have you think. Um, I, I just think that in terms of practical achievement, I just think that Bobby Hurley, excuse me, Danny, the little Freudian slip there, that Danny Hurley uh, is the guy that I think would be able to to, to, you know, to, to to bring this team where it needs to go. Speaking of dead-end jobs, I am a Fordham alum, and five years ago or so, uh, Fordham was kind of applauding themselves, saying how they were able to get Tom Pecora before St. John's was, and... Five years later, Tom Pecora is fired. You wrote extensively about this in the post when it happened, following Derek Wittenberg, Bob Hill, um, a series of coaches that have won prior to coming to Fordham and then just could not turn this program around despite all the same lines that the administration gives about what the Rose Hill gym can become, what New York City basketball can be in the Atlantic 10. I know you're a Bonnie's guy, so you're a bit of an 8-10 rival if you can have a rival rivalry between um, the Bronx and Ole in New York. But what can Fordham, they're going to stay in the 8-10, what can they do in your mind to turn this program around with this most recent, with this next hire? Andy Toole from Robert Morris was in the Bronx uh, yesterday. The reports were, was wind and dine. Maybe they took him on author Avenue, decide to stay at NEC school, Robert Morris, what can Fordham possibly do to turn this program finally around? Well, you know, part of the problem is that, you know, you brought up that I'm a St. Bonaventure uh, alumnus, and, you know, the, the Atlantic 10 has forever, and I mean, going back to the beginning of its, to, to, to its free, you know, creation and, you know, in the wake of the Big East forming, actually it precedes the Big East by a year, you know, it's always been a stratified league. There's, there, there, there's definitely haves, definitely have-nots. I mean, you know, currently the haves include VCU and Dayton. I mean, those are... Those are programs that could easily make a transition to a Big East if they had to, because of the financial wherewithal they have, the commitment they have. And the other end of the spectrum, we have schools like Fordham, St. Bonaventure, Duquesne. You know, smaller private uh, Catholic schools that you know, in, in a lot of ways, profile a lot better for the MAC because those schools, you know, are, are almost identical in, in both mission and, and, and method to what uh, 
the three schools I talked about are. St. Joe's is in there a little bit also. Um, I, I think what you have to do is make a commitment. Look, I, I understand that you can't just blow up Rose Hill and build a new arena tomorrow. It, it is interesting to me that a school that does have as many money people as Fordham, who've all been willing on the record to try and, you know, raise money to build a facility that it's never actually come to even a discussion point, which kind of hints it to me at what Fordham's true commitment to big-time basketball is. And look, the Atlantic 10 is big-time basketball. It might not be a BCS conference, but it's just on the outside looking in. And, you know, just a year ago they had six teams in the big, in the big dance. So, I mean, you're talking about a serious league. Um, and, you, and you have to compete seriously, you know. I mean, you look at Duquesne. I mean, look at St. Say, say, say Bonaventure had a couple of jackpots going for them. They really did hit the jackpot with a coach in Mark Schmidt, ironically, one of the predecessors to Tool at Robert Morris, who, uh, to Andy Tool at Robert Morris, who, who came and, and, and did spectacular work. It has done spectacular work. It's been a great fit. And I can tell you from experience that, you know, they, they have a lot, a lot of, they, they've had a lot more misfires. They've had hits there. Sometimes you get lucky with a coach. And that coach got lucky with a great player in, in Andrew Nicholson who wound up leading them to the NCAA tournament, and he's been able to parlay that and also his own skills into, you know, they, they become a regular winner up there, which is really something of a minor miracle. But you contrast that with Duquesne that hasn't been to the NCAA tournament since 1977. You see a lot of the same problems that Fordham has, only Duquesne actually has a facility. What Fordham needs to do is is, is, is is what they've always given lip service to, which is to have the kind of commitment. Maybe you don't have to be VCU, but you probably should be Rhode Island. You know, you probably should be Davidson, which is, you know, which, which are the kind of schools they should be competing with time after time. And when we just look at their budgetary needs and the the, the, the amount of support personnel they have, uh, it's just not on that par. And look, it's no it's it's no coincidence that Fordham. It's like you said. It, it, look. If, if, if you want to fire a guy for going 44 and 106, it's really hard to argue with that. And that was Cora's record. I get that, and I think anybody would say that that's fair. But, you know, when you start talking like they did about peripheral issues like transfers, I mean, please, that's just so minor league, it's ridiculous. And the fact is that every coach going back to Tom Penders has won elsewhere and not won at Fordham. Is that a coincidence? I don't believe in coincidences. I believe that that's a, you know, a systemic issue. And, yeah, you know, Rose Hill is the one that we all kind of point to because it's just this archaic gym. But there's so many other issues in terms of the way that they do their basketball business that have to be resolved first before you can ask a coach to succeed. And you can't tell me that didn't go a long way toward Andy Toole turning down the Atlantic 10. I mean, it's just incredible that you can't make a deal to close a deal for the, for the Robert Morris coach. When a former Robert Morris coach actually went to St. Bonaventure, another one went to Rutgers. I mean, this is a, this is a good pipeline, and he would prefer to stay at Robert Morris and take his chances with you know, the future than go to Fordham. That doesn't speak well, but it does reflect, I think, what both of us were talking about, the Fordham business model. Let's talk about what's going on currently. Mike, you're in Houston, and you know, you'll be watching Duke. Uh, and they call it March Madness. Maybe this is because of Kentucky. There has been some good games. I don't know. We, we talked a little bit about this last week, and, and there's been articles about the scoring and the, and the plotting way of college basketball. That's been going on for a few years now. I haven't been as much into it. Maybe it's just me. What are your thoughts about the tournament thus far? Are you looking forward to these matchups this weekend? You know, I, I would be a lot more looking forward to it if I thought the gap between Kentucky and the rest of the field was a little narrower. I thought it was very sobering for a lot of people who are waiting for Kentucky to stumble to see what happened against West Virginia. Not just that, not that West Virginia you know, really had a legitimate chance to win the game, but they were doubled up. And you just don't ever see that once you get to this level of the tournament, you know, unless you've got just a dominant super team the way you do with Kentucky. 
you know, I think part of the problem, I, I, I'll tell you what, and I love college basketball. If, if they never have another game at the you know stadium, it used to be called Reliance Stadium here in Houston, I mean, those are some of the most blightful games ever. I know basketball in domes can be kind of hard to watch anyway, but I was there last night. I mean, it's, it's amazing anybody ever makes a shot because it's like you're playing a game in outer space because around the court is nothing but this <laughs> black flowing curtains, and it's just it, 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 it's awful to watch good athletes struggle so mightily. I mean, you know, it's, it, 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 it's, you know, it's kind of endemic to this, this, this facility and venue. What are you going to do? This is where it's scheduled. This God, you know, God help us, it's where the Final Four is going to be next year. But, um, you know, it, 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 I, I think there's just this overlying thing with the whole tournament. That, you know, I, I think there was a sense that let's enjoy it while we can last week. The, you know, the first day of the tournament was terrific, as, you know, a lot of times happens. Uh, but I think we're looking at a lot of chalk now because I just think that the teams that are the higher seeds are, 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 are you know, significantly better. And, look, when, when you're talking about a team like Michigan State now as a Cinderella, I mean, Michigan State's now been to the lead eight more than it's not been over the last 15 years. Uh, that's not exactly a great Cinderella, you know. Uh, I, I think there'll be a lot of people rooting for Gonzaga. Part of that is because of the anti-Duke sentiment, but part of it is because they like the way Gonzaga plays. And I think really, you know, you have two rooting interests. If you're a Kentucky fan, then you know you're you're obviously you know hoping to see 40-0, which is something that I think you know I know I never thought we'd see another perfect team after Indiana. And if you're the larger group, which is anybody but Kentucky, then I guess you can root for there. But it does seem like increasingly becoming more of a of a hapless cause. Mike, is college basketball now maybe more so more than ever about the coaches? Um, I think to an element. It's always been a little bit about the coaches, but because of the so much turnover and the one-and-dones and the lack of familiarity over the course of four years that there used to be between players and fan base and alumni, you look at who's in the tournament, Krzyzewski, Calipari, Bo Ryan, Patino, Tom Izzo. Is this more than ever before, in your recollection, really a sport now just about the coaches and the programs? Yeah, one hundred percent for all the reasons that you said. I mean, the, you know, the the coaches give us the the continuity. You know, the the example we always go back to is the Big East back in the eighties when you know every team had everybody come back every year. Villanova had Pinckney coming back four years, and Mullen and Ewing, and you know Jay Murphy at Boston College. I mean, you can go on and on if you were a fan of the Big East. You know, you knew you were going to have you know these rivalries building for the course of four years. Now it's over the course of four or five months. It's the coach that's the star. It's the coach that's the continuing factor. And that's not just a theory anymore. I mean, you look at all eight of these coaches, it's an astonishing roster of, uh, of, of, of talent and, and, and ability. I mean, you know, you know, maybe the outliers are Mike Bray and, and, uh, and Mark Few. Um, but even, you know, you look at their records, I mean, they're you know, hundreds of games over 500, both of them, and for their careers. You know, and those are the two junior achievers. I mean, you have some of the most heaviest, some of the heaviest hitters in the game, and Izzo and Patino and Calipari and go on and on and on, and obviously Krzyzewski. Uh, I, I think when you look at the eight guys who are still coaching at this point, uh, that goes a long way to explaining what the college game is. It's very much personality-driven uh, from the uh, from the head coaching perspective, and uh, they're the ones who rule the sport. You know, it's it's, uh, and we can rage about how much these guys make and how much power they're given and how much they over you know whelm the university's image, but the fact is that uh, it's a uh, it's it's a pretty impressive roster that speaks to uh, just how important it is to have that guy. Uh, you know, in charge. And I think that's why these coaching decisions, you know, bringing it back locally, are so important. Not that Danny Hurley is going to become Mike Krzyzewski someday. Not that whoever gets the St. John's job and uh, or the, the Fordham job, you know, say it's Jim Engels, is going to become, you know, uh, 
uh, my time is there someday. But obviously, we see the, the the positive impact of making the right hire at the right time, and all eight schools obviously did that. Mike, last question before we let you go. I uh, have to ask this, Knicks fans, this is all they have left is this tournament and looking at some of these prospects, hoping that they'll have the pick of the litter, the number one pick. You saw Jaleel Okafor. Uh, I've been warming up to towns. It's so tough uh, against this competition to really evaluate. You saw Okafor up close. You'll see him again. Any thoughts about Okafor and, and how he would fit in potentially with the Knicks? <laughs> well, that's kind of a loaded question. I think right now we probably fit in really well defensively with him. Really well. And that's a really good thing. But, you know, <laughs> last night is not a great game to judge him by because he was really, you know, he, he struggled, and, and, uh, and uh, that's, which is fine. So he, he is only a freshman. But I've also seen him play games where he was, a, you know, literally a man playing with boys. And I have a sense that against that Gonzaga front line, as accomplished as they all are on offense, that he might show us something uh, in his own right offensively tomorrow. I'll be honest with you. It's, there are times that I look at, uh, you know, when, when you, certainly when you compare him and Towns, when I wonder if maybe it wouldn't be such a terrible thing to to, to, to wind up with the second pick in the draft, not the first, <laughs> because this way you're, you know, you're clearly, you know, you let, you let the other guys take who they want, and then you get, you know, you make the easy call, and obviously that kind of, you know, harkens back to the uh, Odin Durant draft where, uh, you know, the then you know, Sonics were able to take advantage of of, have, of taking the best guy left on the board. But you know what? I, I, I think both those guys would make them significantly better. Look, I mean, I don't think either one of them is Luell Cinder coming out in 1969 or 70, or you know Shaq coming out when, when he came out. Where I mean, you know, these guys alone made enormous 25, 30 game turnaround impacts. Neither one of those guys is going to be able to do that. But I think both of them are, are, are absolutely building blocks to you know to uh, to put there alongside Carmelo and whoever else you know Phil is able to woo in free agency this summer, uh, you know the the one thing I think that might have in a sad really sad way might have helped clarify things for the Knicks is what's going on with Kevin Durant now because I mean you know if if, if this is going to be a chronic thing for him and you know you, you always worry about a guy you know in his feet and his legs and there's going to be a chronic problem I mean can you can you honestly think about do you know even you know Maybe not tanking next year, but 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 keeping your salary space in such that you're going to throw that you know everything at Kevin Durant in two years, you know when you just have no idea what 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 kind of a health thing you're talking about with him now. I mean, you know that might have actually helped clarify things as much as anything else for the Knicks. That uh, you know if they, if if what they want to do is you know is is send you know, is, is give is give a, a a certain amount of money to several players as opposed to all their money to one player. I think. Uh, I think that's probably uh, kind of become a, a clarifying issue for the Knicks right now. No, listen, enjoy the games. Uh, appreciate you getting up early to talk to us. Let's do it again, Mike, and uh, be well. Sounds good, guys. Take care. Great talking hoops with you. That's Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post, always uh, a friend of the show. Really enjoy his take. And we could have probably talked about everything going on in New York sports with Mike there, Joe, but we'll start off with the St. John situation. And I, I really – the way I use the term agnostic is just the way I feel about Steve Lavin. And I am not a big college basketball guy. I'm not a big college guy. Look, I'm a baseball guy. Number one, I love the NBA. Um, you know, I'm start, you know, football has become kind of this thing because of the show and fantasy sports that has jumped up in my life in a way that when I was younger, I wasn't a big football guy. And then of course, hockey gives you its moments, but St. John's, I went there, I graduated, I saw, I wasn't involved. I was too young to appreciate the late the uh, mid '80s with Mullen, 
but I saw how exciting the run to the Elite Eight, a team in 1999 that I think could have won a national championship. And since then, since 2000, when they got knocked out by Gonzaga, the, the program has done this 15-year malaise that, interestingly enough, has coincided with the Knicks, who have had struggles. And even though Lavin came in and has improved the program from when Norm Roberts was there, you had never felt excited or you never felt that St. John's in the old Big East, the new Big East, was really a contender. And I'm not sure if that's necessarily the coach's fault or that the university, for whatever reason, location, philosophy, maybe, and this is not a bad thing, maybe from an academic standpoint, their, their standards are too high to get the top-notch athlete. I feel that they're the best of the New York schools, not named Syracuse, and I'll leave New Jersey out of it, but they're not much higher in the pecking order than a Manhattan. Um, you know what I'm trying to say? Does that make sense in terms of Well, listen, reality? they still play at Madison Square Garden, but I don't think – I think the things that St. John's has always had going for them as their big selling points for recruits are just now looked at as big selling points for recruits or by recruits anymore. Playing in the garden is great, but if I'm a college basketball player, I would be more excited about playing at a sold-out, tremendous on-campus arena than I would the garden at a third of its capacity on a Sunday right. night at 9 o'clock against Creighton. Yeah. Creighton I'm just right. not going to be that excited yeah. about playing at St. John's um, because of the because of Madison Square Garden, if I'm playing in the Big East, I'm going to have my opportunities to play at the Garden anyway in the Big East tournament. And St. John under Lavin never won a Big East tournament game despite that being their home court. That's number one. Number two, St. John's as a campus. I know it's New York City, and a New York City campus, Queens, the Bronx, Brooklyn, wherever, is not going to Nothing be able special. to compare it with things with other no. places anywhere else. So if you're yeah. a if you're a top level recruit and you have the uh, ability to, you know, go on campus and have a true college experience, or stay local yeah. and dorm in Queens, uh, that's got to be tough as well. You got to find the unique player that it's important for them to stay I mean, in, in the tri-state in, area. Fresh, I think you're a really, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're in Fresh Meadows, really, but it's Jamaica. And look, the campus is a lot nicer than I was there. When I was there, they were under construction because they were transitioning. So there were days that I'd be walking through mud pits to get to class. Um, it's it, it's an, it, I guess maybe the perspective that you and I have or, or had, and, and these kids don't, is Chris Mullen and Luke Cardaseca and the glory days of the Big East, which were the mid-'80s to the early-'90s, was still very fresh in my mind in 1995. It's not for these kids. These kids have grown up now that are going to be 18, uh, with the Dukes and the Yukons and uh, ACC and all this other stuff. And um, to me, I just don't know if it's going to matter. Now, Danny Hurley has a great resume. Steve Massiello, I think, is a guy that uh, – if I'm guessing, and I haven't seen his tweet. I'm his resume like is Tommy great D. for other reasons. <laughs> his resume, but he's a, he's a guy – I think he's a good coach, but he's out of St. John's comfort zone where he walked the graduation at Kentucky in 2000, really did not get – the last three credits. I wonder how many people, you know, in their lives have done that. I don't think that's the end of the world. I mean, compared to things that could be done in terms of college basketball scandals. But St. John's, as a as a religious university, looks at kind of that stuff. I mean, Fran Fischella was a good coach and a good recruiter, Joe. 
And they knocked him out of there, and basically Mike Jarvis won with Frank Fraschello's players. And Mike Jarvis didn't do anything after that point. Once Fraschello's players were out of there, the team went in the tank. So the one coach that you can say connected probably with the AAU, the modern game, the modern college game as it is, Fraschello, they didn't have a stomach for so are they going to have a stomach for a Massiello who's probably going to want to come here? And Massiello's not going to come here if they're spending uh, the last three years or so uh, at Manhattan basically being New York light. He's going to want to come here, and he's going to want to make an impact. He's going to want to make a name for himself. You can see, Joe, I don't know if you agree with this, Massiello would use St. John's as a springboard to something bigger, maybe even the NBA, if you think about it. So, I mean, I see him as sure. that kind of guy. I mean, here's the thing. If you're a St. John's fan, or you're St. John's alumni, you see what Jay Wright does at Villanova, you look at what Butler has been able to do, and you say, how are we that much more different than those schools? We don't have a big football program. We don't have a massive campus. Um, why can't we do what those schools have done? Why can't we even have the success that Georgetown has had over the course of the last decade or so? Uh, Georgetown obviously also has pretty rigorous academic standards. So when you look at all those factors, you go, what is keeping St. John's back that these other schools now, because remember, they're not in the Big East as it was three years ago, where they were competing with the Louisvilles and the Syracuses and these real BCS football, big campus programs. Now they're in a conference with a bunch of schools that are like them in size. So why can't St. Right. John's be Xavier? Why can't they be Butler? Why can't they be Georgetown? Why can't they be Villanova? What has been holding them back? And I can understand the frustration from a St. John's supporter's perspective as to why that hasn't happened. And, you know, look at Lavin, and you really, you know, said it well about being agnostic, and Mike Vaccaro agreed with you, and I agree with you. I think a lot of fans would have been like, if he stays, so be it. If he's gone, I think we could probably do better right. as well. Um, and it's and a Joe, tough Lavin's spot a now for coach. whoever's coming over. No, he was a big-name coach when he did over at coach. UCLA, certainly. Right. But, you know, it's going to be a tough job for whomever comes in now because he had a very rare opportunity Lavin did, which was he had coached the same players for a number of years. He had a senior-laden team this year. And really the best underclassmen, though, Rashid Jordan and Chris Obepka, people are saying both of them may bolt. So if someone comes in now to coach and the two best underclassmen or one guy is going to be a right. senior and then one guy who's going to be a junior are going to leave, now this is a full-fledged rebuilding program for whomever takes over the St. John's job. And you, here, here's something interesting. So you have the romanticism, and that's a good word that I think you use for Mullen. And I, I was under the impression Mullen is a, an advisor in Sacramento. I mean, there's been word that he was uh, one of the names that was – in play before George Carl took the Sacramento Kings job. There's been talk that he'll be the next GM there. Um, you know, there was talk a couple of years ago before Phil Jackson came on that Mullen was in line for the Nick job. Uh, yep. So Mullen's name has been around and thrown around a lot. Now Mullen has GM experience. Mullen does not have any coaching experience. Is Mullen prepared to get into the muck here and do the things you need to do to recruit? Here's the other question. is If Danny Hurley or... Massiello or the next Rick Patino or John Calipari, that kind of level coach. They ain't going to stay at St. John's. I mean, could you see a situation where St. John's gets a coach uh, and then they stay a long time and become like that, you know, like Luke Carnesecca? I can't see that because the Luke Carnesecca, the historical coach, 
will at least jump to the NBA. I mean, Lou himself, he jumped to the NBA, and he got out of there because he's like, whoa, this is not like me having the uh, the Parmesan on Saturday and then going to play Georgetown on Sunday. This is the Well, this listen, is the I don't know. There. I don't know, Mike. There's so the much money Parmesan to be made here now. Don't go down in New Jersey. <laughs> There's so much money to be made now, though, by the college coach. The college coach is making a big-time salary from the school. I mean, money was a big issue here between Lavin and St. John's. Also, too, it wasn't just strictly about performance, reportedly. So there's a lot of money to be made in terms of the contract, the shoe deal, the TV show, the radio programs, whatever else, the basketball camps you, you make. The college job is so much more secure if you have some level of success than the NBA right. job. If I was right. a basketball coach, why would I want to be – like you look at Brad Stevens and the decision he made. He had the opportunity to stay at Butler or go wherever he wanted to be a college coach forever and be a high prominent one to make a ton of money. He felt that the NBA was too luring the Boston Celtic job. But for a lot of other guys, look at Patino coming back, Calipari coming back. Guys well, like Tom Izzo never remember, left. Remember you think Tom Izzo's career would have been looked at any better if he went to coach the Pistons for five years and missed out on the playoffs three out of five years and went back to college sports? He's a legend. He's an icon because he stayed at Michigan State. That's true. Now, Brad Stevens um, and I think Danny Ainge is firmly in the same, on the same page with him. See, Brad Stevens didn't go to a job with an historically bad franchise with a, a GM that wanted a young, bright mind, but not a GM, that was, a, a GM that was in sync with him. I mean, if Calipari comes back, and this is, was talked about this week, and there's a lot of doubt that there's any validity to that, is some say he wants to come back to Brooklyn and run the Nets because he's haunted by the failure of his first Nets tenure, which he got them to the postseason. It just got short-circuited on him, and then he had the, the strike year, and, and then you know they just got spiraled out of control over there in the midst of the Knicks run. But Calipari would come back, and I'm guessing, because it was almost the case in Cleveland, if you, hear, if you believe reports, he's come back with a lot of power. And here's the other thing. With a Calipari, he's actually now coached <laughs> – at some point, I think a third of the league is going to get coached by Calipari. I mean, think about it, Joe. Look how many NBA players. I mean, if, uh, if, if Cousins and John Wall and all these stars are, are playing even for a year for Calipari. And he does right by them. He does right. I mean, no, it's one yeah. and done. But for a one He's and done situation, I like going him. to be He's out there, regardless of John Calipari or anyone else, the one and done is here. No one has taken advantage and has a better proven track record for a high school player, high school star that wants to get one year of learning how to play the game of basketball and preparing them for the NBA draft and what the NBA is going to be like than John Calipari. And um, he's created a one-year machine. And why is this year's team so much better? It's because a number of the players stayed. You know, he's got now guys like the Harrison Twins that if they left after this year, their sophomore year, they would probably be second-round draft picks. Now, it's not going to be an ideal situation for everyone. Mike Vicaro, we mentioned, in Houston, watched Gonzaga last night. Kyle Wichler played on Kentucky, won a national championship, and then sat out a year because he wasn't going to get the opportunity to play despite being the sixth man of the year in the SEC, and now he's the star player on Gonzaga. That's a matchup I would love to see. You want to have a Cinderella, Gonzaga's, and, and maybe Wichler might be the, as, even though the Cinderella is much more better dressed than it has been in the past, that might be who you're looking to target. So it hasn't worked out for every player, but for the vast majority of players, 
Calipari and the one-and-done system he's created and the culture he's created at Kentucky has been a great thing for him in that school, although overall maybe a very bad thing for college basketball and even the NBA. And Calipari makes a ton of sense when he talks about the issues of the NCAA and the unfairness, and you could see why recruits go to him. That guy walked into their homes, and I mean, that dude could, I think that dude would be a, like a, a, a salesman of the year for any Fortune 500 company. I mean, he's Mike, tough it's like to walking, in, like walking in. It's like, so let me see. I've coached Derek Rose. I've coached Anthony his personality. Davis. I've coached his personality. Oh, no, his very personality like, too. And oh, he's got a great personality for what he's doing. Absolutely, but I'm saying I mean, now he has a interviews track record with him to are, back are, it up. Are a treat. I mean, is it? I mean, even at half, I, I was laughing on Twitter the other day because I compared Calipari to a character in Glenn, Glenn, Gary Glenn Roth. I don't know if you ever saw that movie. It's an old movie. All star lineup, guys like. Um, uh, Kevin Spacey are in there, Jack Lemon, so on and so forth. But, I mean, it's like he just is always selling the concept. He's always selling his vision, whether he's talking for 37 seconds at halftime or he's on for 35 minutes on WFAN. So I, I just he amazes me how, how, he, how he is, and I think he definitely would be a good NBA coach. And, look, if, if, if the Knicks were in a different uh, regime, it's not, I don't want to bring someone in that's not in sync with Phil Jackson and his philosophies because you committed to that. He might have been a good – guy to look at for the Knicks, but let's, um, let's go to the phone lines, the number 646-716-8187. Uh, we'll take some calls all the way up to 11 o'clock. Remember, we're going to be talking some Yankees in the second hour with Chris Corelli uh, a little bit later. Uh, we got um, Drew from Bayshore. It's uh, Death Taxes and Drew. Hopefully, Drew, you're enjoying your Saturday morning. Yes, I am, guys. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. What's going doing on? Quite well. How are you doing, Drew? Not too bad. I was just listening to you guys talk about the St. John's issue and coaching status and everything. And I, I was actually scrolling around on uh, on my phone this morning, and I saw the the back page of the paper with possibly it was Danny Hurley or Chris Mullen. I, and I was trying, and I started looking up like Chris Mullen because I, I was thinking to myself, like, where has he been? Because I have no idea where he's been. Like, was he coaching somewhere? Is he in somebody's front office? I mean, you know, I, I guess since, like, there's no state college for New York, so to speak, like there is, you know, like University of South Carolina or North Carolina or anything like that, I would watch, you know, St. John's, I guess, when I was into more into college basketball. But I was just thinking, you know, what, how is he going to just show up at St. John's? And does he think, like, recruits are going to go there? Because nobody's going to remember – nobody remembers him. You know what I mean? Like, how Fair point. It's a fair point. I mean, he's been he's been with the Kings as an advisor. He has an NBA pedigree. He's got a a dream team resume. People know who Chris Mullen is. Do they remember him more for the dream team? These kids um, versus uh, the '80s. I'm sure it's the it's it's the the former. It's the dream team. If you're um, if you're going to be a freshman next year, okay. So if you're going to be a freshman college basketball player next year, you were born in 1997. Right. You don't even know who the dream team is. You know what I'm saying? Like you didn't right. remember. Yeah. You don't even know Run TMC either. Exactly. You don't remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Run DMC. Or, you're right. Exactly. TMC. You don't remember Run that. TMC. The Tim Hardaway and who's the other guy? I can't remember. Mitch Richmond. Mitch Richmond. Thank you. Mitch, Mitch Richmond. Richmond. It was a good. It was a good two. Mitch Richmond was the kind of two that if the Knicks had him, they probably would have oh. had a couple of championships on the run. And they almost, yeah. if you remember, they were definitely. trying to get him a couple of times. So, you know, I think they were remember trying that, to Joe, the when Joe to doesn't the want to talk about, Joe doesn't want to talk about those kind of things because he roots for the Brooklyn Nets. Now, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You big too, win. Drew. Big win You're over the Cavaliers the other night. Wow. Big win by the Nets over the Cavs. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So, yeah. uh, 
complementary to that, you know, I, I don't know why St. John's can't be as good as some of these other teams or be as competitive. You know, I know Joe uh, Fordham, I'm not an alum, but I know Joe is. I mean, they recently fired their coach. And uh, I was going back and forth on Twitter with uh, Brandon Tierney. And I said, you know, I don't know, like, why can't Fordham be, like, similar to St. Joe's of Philadelphia? I mean, there's not too much different there, you know. And Fordham like, doesn't want to say it, but it is the academic standards for the players at Fordham are too high you need to be able to get a player in or multiple. You need to get, just like the University of Miami did with football and other schools, you need to go to administration and say, I need these two guys. These two guys how can, can we change get our them program. And, and they're not willing to in. do that. I mean, he's they're also, not they're also playing in the Bronx. They're also playing in, the, 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 you know, you talk about fresh metal Jamaica, there ain't a lot happening in the Bronx if you come from another part of the country and you want to be a star. You're playing in a high school gym, Joe. I mean, listen, you know. I, well, listen, they, and this is their big Fordham argument every single year is how I can see, you know, we pack that place and get 3,000 people in there. There's no reason why the Rose Hill gym can't be like Cameron Indoor Stadium and be the toughest place to play in the Atlantic 10. It's like we stop comparing, you know, the Rose Hill yeah. gym in the Bronx to what Duke has been able to yeah. do over the last 30 years Our, under Mike Shashevsky. Can unfair. we get 500 it's people unfair. to show up on a weeknight game against Rhode Island first? Hey, and root on the team. Here's an interesting coaching candidate, and he threw his, his hat via Twitter into the St. John's ring. Ron Artest, a.k.a. Metaworld Peace. He's out there. Sounds like he wants to coach. Maybe Stephon Marbury will another coach. championship in Beijing. Is the, At least he'll uh, coach defense as well. At least Ron Gilbert Arenas could be his assistant coach. Right, you know. I know we got to get to Chris Corelli, and we're going to talk Yankees in the 11 o'clock hour, but... One of the funniest, I enjoy Twitter wars, especially when it's between media and athletes. Did you see the Frank Isola, Stephon Marbury back and forth? Or, well, it was about a week ago, last Sunday, after Marbury won the Beijing championship. You didn't see that? I, I saw a little bit of it. I know you were following it very closely because you and Frank are now BFFs. And Frank you and I are buddies. Know what's happening. You need to know what's I, happening I, in his life so that when he texted you at 2 o'clock in the morning, you, uh, you could properly <laughs> respond. <laughs> That's true. All right, let's take a quick break. Uh, we'll get into the 11 o'clock hour. We'll be talking some Yankees. We'll talk some Mets. Uh, new contributor coming up, Chris Corelli of Yankees Unscripted. So uh, we also want to hear from you. The number is 646-716-8187. You're listening to the Weekend Watchdogs. Mike Silva, Joe Bono. We'll Next be beat back writer for the right New York this. Next beat writer for the New York Daily News, Frank Gaisola, joined the Weekend Watchdogs. Maybe it wasn't the plan, but maybe this is the best thing. They're bottoming out. They could get a top pick, like you said, and eventually, in the next two to three years, rebuild this the right way. I understand Carmelo's limitations and the age, but maybe this was the best thing overall, even if it wasn't the plan. And I know you don't share that opinion, but you got to at least give some credence to that thought. I just laugh at it because I think, you know, you know what the um, the movie or the Broadway play, the producers, is when, like, you know, they're trying to come up with the yes. worst play possible to go out of business, <laughs> and then it turns out to be a hit. The Knicks are like the opposite of it. Phil thought he was putting together a hit. Instead, it turns out to be a disaster, and everyone's like, he's a genius. Look what he's doing. We're going to get a lottery pick when we have all this catfish. That's the part that makes me laugh about it. But I think it is the smart play right now, absolutely, uh, to do what they're doing. I, I don't I don't have a problem with it. Listen to the Weekend Watchdogs every Saturday, 10 to noon, on Blog Talk Radio.
Mike Silva, Joe Bono, this lovely March the 28th, final show in March. It's now spring. Send us a tweet at Mike Silva Media at jbono611, weekendwatchdogs.com for the show live on our replay. Joe loves the Frank Isola uh, promo, which is getting making its rounds. I've got people in the industry listening to it saying how much how creative it is. You have a future as a producer. If you ever want oh, to not be on the air, Joe, you could get the very large sum of zero dollars to continue to produce, even if you right. don't want to do the show. If I ever want to, if I ever want to uh, not be on the air and um, be forced to sell my apartment and live back with my parents, I can make that promos like that all day long. Excellent. All day long. You do know Isola is a Cablevision shareholder because he was criticizing Radio City Music Hall for the reviews of their new Spring Spectacular, which I sh- I'm sure you will be going to see. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, I don't have the money nor the time to go sit and watch what looks to be the actual version of the producers, the Radio City Music Hall Spring Spectacular. But I digress on that. So anyway, uh, new contributor to the show. We'll talk a little Yankees baseball. He's got a website, Yankees Unscripted. You can check him out on Twitter, at Chris underscore Corelli, uh, Chris Corelli, Chris, Mike Silva, Joe Bono, uh, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Doing well, thanks, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. So I like I liked your site. I came across your site. I like how you kind of are anti-narratives. I'm trying to teach my partner here to get off the narrative train. But um, Yankees here, it's interesting because Bob Raceman of the Daily News wrote this, and, and I don't necessarily think it's 100% true, but the Mets have been the better media story, good or bad. It's not like they're taking over the town, but they're providing the copy. It's been, except for A-Rod, a very quiet spring with the Yankees, and everyone's down on them. I, I see the odds in Vegas. I don't think the Yankees are all that bad, and I actually think this is a good thing. They kind of could just get their house in order and not worry about false expectations or narratives. I'm curious your thoughts. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Um, the the whole aspect of them coming in uh, as the massive underdog, I mean, many people are picking them to come in last in the division, um, is, is really, I think, to their benefit. Um, and, and even the A-Rod sideshow at the beginning of spring training kind of subsided pretty quickly uh, once he started to, you know, look decent enough on, you know, up at the plate versus uh, being overmatched completely. Uh, so, you know, that narrative went right out the window uh, fairly quickly. Um, and, and the team itself, you know, they've got some issues, I think, going in um, besides the, you know, what everybody wants to bring up about, you know, their prospective injuries and, and so on that, that might happen. Um, you know, they, they do have some, some other things that they need to, uh, to, to be concerned about, I think, going into, uh, you know, the first part of the regular season. But um, the, the them and the Mets, the Mets are, you know, a younger team. They they have some huge bright spots in the pitching staff, uh, obviously. Um, but, you know, I think if you look at the Yankees, they have uh, some similarities. And I think where people are hesitant with the Yankees is that, you know, Tanaka's got the uh, the UCL issue and Pineda's had shoulder issues. And, you know, they've got an un, un, uh, unknown guy in Ivaldi uh, coming in who, who you know, has a, a lot of upside, I think, um, but no one really knows who he is. And, you know, Sabathia's had his down parts, and he's coming off of an injury, so he's he's got problems. But uh, I think that people are leaning a little bit too heavy on the uh, fact that the Yankees are an old uh, team um, and, and that, you know, just about everybody on the team is going to suffer an injury. I think it's uh, injuries happen whether you're young, old, or, you know, in the middle, and it's uh, – 
look at look at the Blue Jays with Marcus Stroman. You know, no one thought that was going to happen, right? And and now their top pitchers is on the is off for the entire season. So it, it, injury stuff happens. I don't think you can uh, judge a team based on what you might think happens to them. Uh, you know, in, especially in April. You know, you look at um, some of the stuff you've been talking about there. It's you know, when it looks at the roster, the Yankees are pretty set when you come to the positional situation. The rotation now with Adam Warren, and I'm not really all that surprised. I don't know about you that Adam, Adam Warren stepped up. He's always been a guy that some have felt has middle of the rotation potential. But the bullpen, which was a strength last year, I know they lost Robertson. There's a lot of interesting names, and you wrote about this yesterday. How is the bullpen going to uh, transpire here? You have Batances, you have Miller, you have Carpenter, you have Wilson. You have an interesting left lefty in Ch- Chase and Shreve. Shreve, I'm sorry. Um, talk about the bullpen, because I think it's going to be good. I know that uh, there's some concerns about Batances and his velocity, but this is a chance to be a really good bullpen, even without Robertson. Yeah, I, I, think, it's, uh, I think it's actually a, a, a better bullpen in all this year than it, than it was last year with Robertson, or without Robertson now this year. Um, you know, having Batances and, and Miller um, pitching the eighth or the ninth, whichever way Girardi you know, writes it up, uh, is is just a, an absolute bonus for him, um, you know, like he had last year, really, uh, with Batanzas leading into leading into Robertson. But I think he can mix and match a little bit more this year with those two, um, which is part of the reason why maybe he hasn't decided who his closer is. Maybe he is going to play matchups when he can. Um, both, although both those guys can get you know hitters out from each side of the plate, so you know it's he can bring them in anytime from the you know late seventh inning through the ninth and, and finish out a ball game. Uh, Carpenter um, and, and Wilson are very good um, relievers, and, and I think are going to open up a lot of eyes. You know, two power pitchers, um, and then beyond that, you, you mentioned Shreve. Uh, he's got a chance to make the team. Um, then they've got. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing Chase Whitley might be the swing man. You know, heading in, he's had a really good spring, and uh, you know, Rogers, uh, Smell Rogers, seems to be the the odd man out because of the uh, Warren taking that rotation spot. Um, you know, where it gets interesting is when Capuano comes back, Chris Capuano comes back, and, you know, what do they do with Warren if he's pitching well? You know, do they leave him in rotation and just slide Capuano into the bullpen? They've got extreme depth. I mean, we're not even talking about a lot of the young guys that they have. Uh, they're going to be starting in, in uh, AAA uh, at the start of the season that could take any of those last few spots and, and I think be a seamless transition. A lot of attention, obviously, on the starting rotation, whether or not it'll stay healthy, and the bullpen, as we just mentioned. But the reason why this team did not win last year was because they couldn't hit. And they were one of the worst Yankee offensive teams in recent memory. How much confidence do you have that guys like McCann will rebound and play like he did throughout the second half of the season, Beltron, whether Gardner could give you what he did again last year, and really this middle infield of Gregorius and Drew, that's got to be a serious offensive question. Just give me your thoughts overall about what you can expect about the from the Yankees from an offensive standpoint. Sure, um, I'll start with McCann because I think he's the um, he's the epitome of the bounce back candidate, and it, part of it's because of what he showed uh, towards the end of last season. Uh, the other part of it is I think you know having that one full year under his belt um, as the catcher, which he takes extremely seriously, and he's a very good. Uh, very good catcher. Uh, he helps the team way beyond his offense uh, behind the plate as well. Um, he has the chance to do what I think many people thought he was going to do coming in last year, 
uh, I, I think, and me included, I, I really thought he was going to, um, you know, kind of just explode onto the scene uh, right away. Um, and, and it didn't really start coming about until, you know, late August and, and much through September. Uh, but I, I am most confident in him being able to turn around uh, his 2014 season into something a lot more productive uh, for 2015. Uh, the other guys you mentioned, you know, I'm, I'm most concerned with, with Gardner. Um, he had a huge slide at the end of last season. I wrote about this the other day. Um, he went like a, it was 170 plate appearances where he hit, you know, one, God, it wasn't very good. <laughs> it was an awful, <laughs> awful ending to the season. Um, and, and he was at 140. Um, he, he was missing everything. He looks completely lost at the plate this spring as well. I mean, he's, he's, uh, already struck out 15 times this year on the spring. And I know it's, it's, you know, you can't take spring stats and, and all that. That's that's one of the bigger, uh, here's another narrative for you, spring stats don't matter. Um, well, they do when it leads from one season into the next, and the same stuff is happening to the same exact player. Um, with Gardner, you know, a lot of people, including himself, I think, thought that maybe the abdominal issue he was having last year was, was you know, part of what threw off that uh, that final string of games. But uh, he looks like the same guy, you know, and he's, he's completely healthy. Um, so he's... Uh, He's got some work to do. I mean, there's a good week left before before the season starts, but he hasn't really even looked that great at the plate. So, you know, stats aside, he hasn't driven the ball. He doesn't look to be, um, you know, much on his game right now. Uh, Teixeira, Mark Teixeira and Carlos Beltran, they, they are very important, you know, keys to this uh, this offense. And if, if one or the other isn't performing uh, better than last year, th- it's going to be trouble because you, who else do you rely on besides McCann in, in, the, in the middle of the order? You know, I, you know, A-Rod's not going to give much more than what he's shown so far this spring, which is, you know, basically competence. Um, you know, people who feel that he's going to, you know, hit 30 home runs this year are, are dreaming. Um, and beyond that, you mentioned Gregorius and Drew. Um, Gregorius is a is a light hitter, um, but he has some potential. Uh, people who have watched him over the last few years tend to think that he can uh, benefit from hitting in Yankee Stadium a little bit, uh, and it's all about him hitting lefties. Uh, it's been his Achilles heel. Uh, he's looked okay, though, this spring, you know, and I think if he – basically anything he gives us uh, on the the offensive side um, is gravy considering what he, what he does in the field, and, and that's, I think, what their, their biggest – the Yankees' biggest uh, hinge was on, on signing him or you know trading for him, and uh, and re-signing Drew was to to solidify that infield defense for the for the pitching staff, and then Drew, you know, uh, uh, I'm I was of the evolution I still kind of am that you know him missing spring training last year uh, really you know uh, affected his game, uh, you know he's he's had a up and down spring training he had a few hits yesterday. Uh, so maybe he's starting to see the ball a little bit better. Um, but, you know, they have to make a very quick decision on him, I think, you know, through the first month or two and, and not and not let him uh, straggle along if, if he's showing the same uh, the same results as he did, you know, with the Red Sox and the Yankees uh, through 2014. Uh, Chris Corelli of Yankees and Scripted, new uh, contributor, calling in, always looking for some new and interesting websites. You know, on that point, Chris, what I see, and again, the Yankees, I think the thing that makes people uncomfortable is you can't pencil them in for 95 wins. And a lot of that over the last 10 years, post the four out of five late 90s run, is that their offense was so great that you're going to score 1,000 runs, you're probably going to win 90 games, even when you have flaws. 
this offense can be pretty good. It may not be great, but here's the thing. Defensively, if you look up and down, and if, I'm assuming A-Rod is the DH in this scenario, you have a good defensive team. You have the potential for a lockdown bullpen. The starters, the top two starters, if they're healthy, I don't see why they can't be as good as any other top two starters, if not better. And the middle of the back of the rotation is going to keep you in games in this post-steroid era. There's that narrative offense. Mm-hmm. But defensively, the Yankees could win 2-1 games, 3-2 games. I don't know if you could say that about the 2007 or 2008 Yankees on a consistent basis. I don't know if you agree with that. That's what I see where maybe that's it's, it's, it could, it's a flip of a coin, those games. But if you're in a game and you have that kind of uh, defense and back end of the bullpen pitching, uh, look, uh, you're going to be able to be in most games and probably win them. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, and I think that's the approach that they took this year was, you know, look, we're stuck with a couple of these guys who are getting on the older end, uh, the, the shares and Beltrons, and we're paying them a lot of money. We're not going to be able to move them anywhere, and it is what it is. And, and A-Rod's coming back. Um, you know, what can we do to solidify the bullpen, uh, make it even stronger than it was last year? What can we do to uh, eat some innings so they traded for Evaldi? Uh, what can we do with the defense? And, you know, again, with Gregorius uh, and Drew up the middle, Headley's, you know, well above average as a third baseman. And, and Teixeira, you know, still plays a decent first base, uh, you know, better than most. And the outfield, uh, besides Beltran and Wright, is, is solid, you know, and, and Ellsbury can cover whatever ground Beltran can't make up uh, in center field, uh, from center field. So, you know, you're absolutely right. The, if they can get, um, you know, six, six innings out of most of their starters on, on most nights, uh, the bullpen can can certainly carry them through, and and they and they probably will play an awful lot of three two, four three ball games, you know, and and hopefully, for them they'll they'll be you know on the right side of those of those games, uh, but uh, you know I, I do I do still think that, um, you know the the offense is 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 going to have to do better than that because you can't you can't rely on uh, a full season, of you know five guys you know pitching that well uh, as far as rotation is concerned. Chris, although expectations for the Yankees are probably down considerably as opposed to the last decade or so, I think finally the expectations for what this farm system can do in the short term actually might be at a higher, higher point than in recent history. Talk about some of the Yankee prospects that are either on the cusp or really can start to make an impact even on this 2015 club, uh, Severino, Gary Sanchez, uh, what Judge has done, Ref Snyder at second base. Um, talk about some of the Yankee prospects, because I think perception-wise is that the Yankees' farm system is down, but I think it's been better than it has been in the recent years. Yep, you know, absolutely right. Um, they're, they've, uh, they've turned a corner with how they're trying to handle their uh, their farm system, uh, for sure. They They went out and... And even they even though they lost out on uh, Yuan Moncada um, just a little while ago, they they had spent a good deal of money on the international uh, free agent market uh, this past summer uh, and signed you know ten of the top thirty uh, prospects uh, according to Baseball America um, during that time. So they they are looking at youth and and they've done fairly well with their with drafting in the last couple of years as well. Um, as far as guys who might make a difference this year, I mean I. Uh, about two weeks ago, or not even a week ago, before um, Parella was was hurt by uh, running into the wall, um, I, I really thought that he might have a chance to uh, supplant uh, Brendan Ryan um, and, and make this make the team. Uh, the guys, 
got the ability to play a bunch of uh, positions on the field and it would have been a really good uh, utility guy. Um, you know, I'm not sure if the Yankees would have gone that route, but it, he was making a case for himself. Uh, and I suspect, you know, once he's back and, and feeling better, uh, if there is an injury, uh, you know, in the infield, uh, he's going to be your first guy up. Uh, Ref Snyder is, is one of the guys that they want to just give some more time to hone down his, his defensive skills. His bat is major league ready. I mean, if, any, if anybody watched him this spring, uh, he looked like he could hit every day without a problem. Uh, and, and I and I think that uh, you know he's he's one of the more exciting people uh, coming down the line, uh, as far as you know who's close. Um, they've got uh, Jacob Lindgren, a uh, left-handed reliever, who probably could see some time this year as well, depending on you know the health of the bullpen. Uh, and, and this guy um, came out of college, just was drafted a year well, last year was his first year in the pros, and and pretty much flew through the system. Uh, he'll be starting out in AAA, I believe, and and is going to really be fantastic. I think. Uh, when and if they need him. Uh, then Severino's, you know, he looks like the, the prospect that, you know, everybody wants as far as a young pitcher coming up uh, who's, who's uh, you know, kind of got that dynamic stuff and, and, and looks like he's he handled himself pretty well this spring. He uh, didn't get an awful lot of innings, but, uh, you know, he had his moments where he looked like he's uh, potentially the, the real deal. And then guys like Aaron Judge and Greg Bird, Coming from the offensive side, um, you know, Judge is just a very imposing figure and, and can hit the ball a ton. And, and Bird is one of those guys who, uh, you know, when Teixeira is gone, it's it not very difficult to see him sliding uh, directly into that first base position and, and, and handling himself uh, fairly well. Um, he, he looks like a, a true hitter, you know, one of those guys that just uh, sees the ball, uh, doesn't chase pitches, and, and just stays in there and, and takes what's given to him and, and, and does something good with it. Chris, before I let you go, y- Yankees Unscripted, of course, you can go on Twitter, at Chris underscore Corelli. Uh, give the listeners an idea of what's going to be going on, what can they expect, anything fun you got going on. Opening day is right around the corner. Let them know all that's going to be coming up in the next few weeks with the Yankees Unscripted. Sure, thanks. Um, you know, basically the site is is meant to... I, you know, you're not going to be able to come on my site and see or read, uh, you know, game recaps and, and so on. I try to pull out aspects of different games, um, you know, something I see that uh, is either beneficial or not beneficial to the team and, and try to expound on it a little bit. So, you know, the site is more long-form content. Um, occasionally I'll throw in a few uh, smaller pieces if I see something. But, uh, you know, I try to do uh, a good deal of research and, and, and put some – put some backing behind my comments. You know, it's all opinionated. Uh, it's all just, you know, my viewpoints. Uh, but I, I try to back them up with, with something solid that uh, at least, you know, whether there's people who agree or not, um, you know, there's something there that uh, kind of shows you where I'm coming from at the very least. And, you know, sometimes uh, some very good discussion breaks out on the site and, you know, so it's, it's, it's good stuff. Um, but, you know, I, I, once the season starts, obviously I'll just be pretty much all over what's what's going on and, and I will have a uh, you know a I will do a preview of the of the uh, the team itself in full I already have done you know player profiles you know dating back from February into March and uh, you know I'll, I'll, I'll do the uh, an AL East uh, coverage as well just to kind of see where I think the Yankees are gonna are gonna fall this year all right well listen appreciate your time here on a Saturday morning let's do it again and uh, good luck and uh, we'll catch up as the season progresses all right, great. Thanks again for having me. I appreciate it. Chris Corelli, Yankees 
unscripted, interesting stuff. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll take your calls if you are so inclined, 646-716-8187. We'll, uh, we'll discuss what we just heard from Chris about the Yankees, get into a little bit about the Mets, um, and maybe we'll even break into this whole raceman concept where the Mets have all of a sudden become the media darlings when it comes to discussions on radio and what have you. You're listening to the Weekend Watchdogs. Mike Silva, Joe Bono, taking you all the way up till noon. Check the show live or on replay at weekendwatchdogs.com. We'll be right back. A disagreement between the Weekend Watchdogs starts with a growl. Money does not matter to them. It doesn't matter if these guys have diminished returns at the end of the contract. They will spend more. Yeah, but you can't build a 25-man roster with the way that the the salaries are going. Leads to a bark. To the New York Yankees, they're going to go out and sign and make Do a big more. Play. They did. That's they're what they've extreme, done. And they're Dojo. not done this offseason. And ends with a bite. <laughs> they can't implement or supplement anybody. Last year's a perfect they can example. with their dollars. You just can't build a team like that. They are building a team like no, that. No, they're going to fall short because they're not going to be able to fill their second base spot, their third base spot. Tune in to the Weekend Watchdogs, Saturday, 10 to noon on Blog Talk Radio. Mike Sola, Joe Bono, Weekend Watchdogs. About a half hour or so left in the show. We talked with Mike McCarrow of the New York Post. Obviously, the Elite Eight, Final Four, next about the next week will be the championship game. We talked some Yankees baseball with Chris Corelli. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a little bit new to the show. A Yankees unscripted. And we'll take your calls, 646-716-8187. Now, Joe, you and I, as we did in that last promo, have disagreed about the Yankees on numerous occasions. And I like to tweak the Yankees fan, especially after that Hal no. Steinbrenner interview earlier this week. Oh, my Lie. God. That Hal's, and Hal's great. I mean, Hal is – I mean, I, I got to I gotta open Hal, like, the back of his jacket and see if there's, like, a uh, like a little box. Like, when you go to – when you go to, like um, – when you have a, like a short out, short out or a brown out in your house, you got to go flip the switch in the electrical box. It's got to be an electrical box behind Hal with all the circuits and everything. Because no human being could be that rote in every interview. But I digress on that point. <laughs> I digress on that point. And digress. I think it's interesting because the Yankees have some things going on for them. The, I guess the feeling or the negativity or the apathy is more that there's no guarantees. The Yankees were like death and taxes. You knew they'd score 950 to 1,000 runs, and that would be enough to at least get them a wild card. The regular season was just a play pen to go to the stadium, have a party, see old-timers day, you know, bask in the sun of narratives and Yankee dominance. And then the postseason was where the bread and butter and where it really counted. And you can't do that anymore because the Yankees, as the league has become more balanced, are right there with everybody. So if you've got to win a lot of 4-3, 4-2 games, you've got to perform, and you've got to be engaged from day one to day 162. And I, don't, I think that's where the apathy comes into play, because there are some good things going on here, but nobody's talking about it. Now, is that because of the Mets and Harvey and, and the Alderson book and the Wilpons? I don't know, but to me it's interesting that nobody seems excited about the Yankees, because maybe because the, the, that goes back to that narrative isn't there. They have to fight to make the postseason. They are not going to be an automatic. So nobody's excited. So therefore, well, they probably aren't going to make it, or they're going to be a bad team. I don't think this is a sub-500 team. It could be, but I don't think things have to break perfectly for them to be 
you know, 85, 86, 87, 88, you know, around there. They're going to get, they're going to need to, like you said, win those three, two, two, one, four, three games. And they might be more equipped now than they have been in recent years to win those type of games, but they're still going to come. The Yankees are going to have to kind of transform themselves from a team that relies on the home run, relies on the five run inning to a team that could situationally hit, come up with the clutch, two out base hits, the drive-in runs, late in game, seventh, eighth, ninth, ninth inning. Can a starter give you six innings? Can your bullpen, you know, keep you close within a run, allowing your offense to get and squeeze two runs off? I think there's going to be more of those type of games for the Yankees than there have been in the past. They just don't have the offensive firepower, and even some of their best players are not your 35, 40 home run type of players. Guys like Ellsbury and Gardner and Beltron at this point of his career. And even if you got production offensively from guys up the middle like Drew and Gregorius, they're not going to be home run hitters. So you're going to have to maybe, you know, think about offense and the Yankees in a different way than Yankee fans became so accustomed to for so long, which was the three-run homer. Now it's going to be the single, the steal of the base, to move the runner over to third and drive him home over to sack fly. That's going to be more of what the Yankees do offensively to be successful than they have in years past. Now you want to talk about the whole Mets versus Yankees. Why are the Mets uh, kind of the story this offseason or even heading into the year? Why is there more buzz about them? Well, it's not so much that the Mets are, Mets are the toast of the town. It's that the Mets are the roast of the town. They're an easy target and a target that continues to give people material to use against them. I mean, even this week, Mike, the story comes out that the Mets have slashed their security staff significantly. Right. Now, you can say City Field doesn't draw, draw 40,000 people anymore, so why have to hire all the security staff when only 15,000 right. people are going to be in the ballpark? But again, perception-wise, it looks awful, especially when you've spent money on moving in your fences from right field and spent all this money on this fancy new scoreboard in right center field, then now all of a sudden there's going to be altercations like brawls that occurred in the 50-cent concert last year, and uh, you're going to have oh, less security God. at the ballpark. I think what I took away when I read the description of some of the things that those who are – there was also the lawsuit of you know of discrimination and things like that, but one of the stories, and I think it was our buddy Matt Aholt of uh, Aholt of, uh, of of the record that was put it out there, and I have to find it, was how the lack of security is an issue by the kids zone because there's adults staring at the kids. And look, playgrounds and places like that are always areas where, as a parent or as a, as a guardian, whatever you are, if it's your nephew or whatever, that you go there and you got to be on the lookout for somebody who's up to no good with young kids. But you don't think of the ballpark as that place. You think of the ballpark as not a safe zone, but the perverts, I'll use the word, kind of, you know, it's too wide open. There's too many eyes on them to them to kind of pray. And then I hear that, and I'm like, never thought of that. And I'm like, well, for security purposes alone, the last thing you want to have is, God forbid, a kid gets stolen at the ballpark because of lack of security. To me, that's reason enough. Now, let's be fair. We don't know all the, the factors and the security ramifications because this is more a group of people who are having a lawsuit that are upset due to the fact that they lost their jobs. But there's no secret the Mets have think somewhere between 30 and 50 security personnel have been re reduced. Now, I've been to the ballpark mainly for the press box, but a few times as a fan in the last few years, and I've never seen an issue. Now, the games I've gone to have been dead in terms of, you know, it's not a Yankee game, it's not a Phillies game. The only issues you ever had at City Field were during Yankee games, and that's been less in general 
because of the nature of the rivalry the last few years. And you had more issues maybe when the Phillies came to town because, I mean, Joe, let's face it, the Philadelphia fans are probably, and I mean this as respectfully as possible, the biggest collection of trash out there. And that's just a Philly fan. I mean, they'll admit that to them. <laughs> you mean that as they'll admit them, respectful as possible. You know, so, um, you know, you have to, you know, when you have to lock up the women and children when a bunch, when any Philadelphia team comes to any venue and they're fans. So, I don't know. I mean, the thing that comes down to is this, is that, you know, Matt Harvey's New York Magazine article was interesting. Did you have a chance to read the whole thing with him and he spent the day? I took away there, you know, you get a lot of confidence that Harvey is going to be the guy that's going to do everything possible to make sure that he physically can perform at a high level. You know, he, this guy has immense confidence in himself and immense will and drive, something that this organization has not had often. But you got the sense in that article, because of who the Wilpons are, and even from a standpoint, the, the Mets fans, they can't handle this guy. This is so out of their comfort zone. This is the equivalent of the average Joe dating a supermodel. And for some reason, she, they got paired up, and she's into him, and she wants to be you know, at that level and bring him along. But the Joe's like, I, I don't know. I don't think I can handle this. And at some point she's going to turn around and say, I, I got to, I got to upgrade because he can't fit in my world. That is exactly what I get. As I read the New York magazine article, Matt Harvey, if the Mets can keep him through his arbitration years, to me, that's a win. He has no chance. This guy becomes a legendary Met. He is out of here. The first chance he gets, he either goes to the Yankees or he goes to LA or he goes somewhere where he, he can be win Why would he be out of out of here, uh, as you use Gary Cohen's catchphrase there. Why would he out of here? Out of here. We have no idea what's going to be the landscape between the Mets and the dynamics between the Mets, Harvey, New York, all that kind of stuff in three years. If the Mets because become you a winner set up and way. they start drawing fans and revenue goes up and they're able to offer him a long-term contract prior to his arbitration years ending, why would he? Where is he going to go? If he, he obviously loves New York, so unless you're saying he's going to want to be a Yankee, why would he go anywhere else? Matt Harvey loves Matt Harvey. And if Matt Harvey's brand Matt Harvey means loves going being to L.A. A New Yorker too. Matt Harvey loves being oh. the brand of being in New York too. Magazine. Yeah, he loves money, but the money well, is going to be there. You don't think you – know, listen, the Mets overpaid for David Wright because he was the face of the franchise and he met so much of the fan base. Why don't you think the Mets would overpay for David Wright? Matt Harvey gave them a very, very team-friendly deal with deferred money, interest-free. He wouldn't have got that, that money in last year. N- um, no, he would not have. So he got He's lucky. about priced now so where he maybe, should be, if not a little bit overpriced, probably for production-wise. Maybe that's standpoint. that's fair. I think I think you you have two different people. I think you have somebody that wants to be legendary. And whether that happens or not is a totally separate conversation. But at the end of the day, unless the Yankees are Stumpy Merrill's Yankees, I don't see him sticking around here. I think this this is you know Sandy's not about anyone being bigger than the team. Um, the Wilpons never have stepped be up. the general manager in three years. I mean, why do you think they can't handle him? Because he did a New York Magazine article. What have the Mets done that shows they cannot handle Matt Harvey? The Mets can't because handle he did the, like the because he did the body issue of ESPN, the magazine. Because he did a New you York think, Magazine you, article. Because look, Joe, you know, a, you, you know, the Mets signed off on the E60 uh, segment. I mean, come on. You don't think they know uh, that he's doing think, these things? I think, going I think they had. If it was up to Jay, that's Jay Horowitz, Harvey wouldn't have done any of this stuff. 
Now, I think because of who the agent is, because remember, the, the New York, I got to get the guy's name, the New York MAG author went through Boris. And then once they got to spring training, the Mets got involved. The Mets don't like that stuff. The Mets are very uneasy. You've seen there's been tension between these two parties all of last year because Harvey wants to be, and maybe some of it is, is necessary to back him off. Harvey wants to be the man. Harvey wants to be the Mets. Hate and Mets fans it's, want him to be the man. And the Mets in office wants him to be I the man. Some and people the get want him to be the man. They're not trying no, to I hide you, him. I don't, it's, like, I don't see them trying to hide Matt Harvey. I don't see that. I don't, I don't no, see that organization trying to run Matt from Harvey. the fact. But run interference on Matt Harvey. Or I just don't know if, you know, the Will Ponds, let's go out to the Shake Shack kind of mentality is as enticing as being on the cathedral, the stage of Yankee Stadium, if he had a choice. I think <laughs> if he had a choice today, you he would go. If you, ask, if you got him in a room. You get swallowed up by Yankee history. If you're not a homegrown Yankee and you walk over as a free agent, you get swallowed up in the history and the mystique and all the other players point. you have to share the spotlight and have to be uh, compared against. Matt Harvey has Tom Seaver, Dwight Gooden for a few years in the 80s, and he can do whatever the heck he wants and be put on the same mantle, if not higher, for a whole new fan base of people than either one of I them hope are. You're right, Joe. I hope you're right. I'm just saying, Joe, there's more really opportunity right. to capture the city and be a star, a superstar, I think, with the Mets than there would be with the Yankees or another team. The fan, look he's at already what he's got the doing. fan base eating out of his hand, eating out of their hands. I he could do no wrong. Like look at the fan base and the blue-collar nature of them. Do you think they like him going to the village yes, and getting like air him. shampoo? Yes. I don't know about yes. that. I think, I think he's... What is the last pay? Like, okay, you could go to the 80s where you had Darling and Hernandez and Strawberry and Gooden, but even in that era, like, the Mets have never had a guy that supersedes the page. Even Piazza was, was as much of a guy that was a stud out in L.A. and dated celebrities and what have you. Like, he was a, he was a very workmanlike superstar. They've never had the A-Rod. This is an A-Rod superstar. I don't know if the fans can handle that. There are some fans, if you follow Twitter, that get turned off by the, you know, the incessant narcissism of Harvey, but he's which primal. was what makes as him he, great. As he, I as don't he care. Describes himself, he is primal when he gets onto the mound. He's as blue-collar as you get on the mound. So what if he's a metrosexual off? So what if he likes to have a model on his arm and sit front court? Sit, uh, I have you no know, problem. Sit I have no problem. The garden and go watch the Rangers on the off days and go eat a nice meal and have some sushi and get his hair done and go get some fitted suits. Who cares? I when don't, he gets on the mound, a lot he identifies with do. the blue collar Met fan. No and one you know cares, the Met Mike. fan has I'm had sorry, a lot of history. I'm making that up. No, That's the Met fan up. has had a history, and you know this. The Met fan has had a history of beating up players that are, are not the amazing and believe type. They did it to Piazza, and they nearly ran him out of town in 1998. They did it. I'm, I'm surprised in 2006. Well, they did. They almost ran Beltron out of town because Beltron wasn't what they expected. The Met fan very quickly beats people up um, for, for things, and I understand that. So I could see them. You know, what if Harvey starts off, you know, going back to Drew's point, what if Harvey struggles middle of the year, and he, start, he ends 15-13 and 13 with a 3-9-0 ERA because he's coming back from Tommy John? You think this New York Magazine stuff and the hairspray and the, and the models, and the, you don't think they're going to make shots about that and they're going to start booing them? You'll see that. Mets fans will ruin this. They'll drop the ball. No, they won't. Mets fans can't handle. Mets fans can't handle fine wine. 
they like to be with the with the with the, the like Fred Wilpon. They want the little brown bag and the, and the bologna sandwich and a, and a juice box, and they want to stay up in the upper deck because they've been trained. They've been trained. The amazing how many, how much, crowd. Which how is, much has David Wright been booed as a member of the Mets? How much was Jose Reyes booing, booed kicking, as a member of the kicking Mets? David Wright around, kicking David Wright around is like beating up a puppy dog. And David Wright got the benefit of the doubt because of the way he never struggled when he first came up. He never did. Piazza got and, booed and, because he was not willing to make to negotiate during the year. First three and he was struggling. So and he was... Yeah. Mike, he was, he was a. He, I read his book. He had a couple of awful months for the Mets, and the Mets were looking at him to be a savior and to be a guy that they would sign long term. And all of a sudden, it was coming to the fact that he was not performing for them after they traded for him. Number one, and number two, that they weren't going to sign him. So that's why they were booing him. And then what? As soon as he started playing better, he got a taste of how great it could be when he, when it's here. Okay, huge, Carlos Beltran in two thousand five, they gave him seven years, $120 million, whatever it was, and he batted right. 260 and hit 15 home runs. Yeah. And to this day, to this day, morons like Joe Benigno on WFN criticize him for not hitting a curveball that probably the Babe Ruth wouldn't have hit from Adam Wainwright. Because without Carlos Beltran, there is no Game 7. Without Carlos Beltran, there isn't even collapses in 0708 because they're not in contention. But they'll kill the guy. Mets fans find a reason to beat so what up, what do Mets fans want? What's the player that the Mets fan wants to, to root for? Who it's not if it's not Matt they, Harvey. They want the, the guy. Murphy? They want the guy that is a star. They want Cleon Jones. They want Rico Bronia. They want a guy that's good, but fits into that whole thing. They don't want Rico yep. Bronia. They want the star. They want the two thousand. They want Todd Pratt. They like Todd Pratt. They like yeah, guys they like, like a that. workman like. Who doesn't? By, by the way, when Piazza... Mike, you love... Hold on, God. hold on. You love the 1990 Nick team. Those are a bunch of lunch pail type of guys. Every fan base loves one or two of those that's guys, Nick, but they can, Nick, they can handle the Nick superstar, fan. too. Just because the Mets fans that's, like Paul LaDuca, just because the Mets fan fans base. like Todd Pratt, doesn't mean they can't also love Matt Harvey and what he represents. They will tear Tell you this what, guy down. I like Look. going to nice... Hey, I'm a Mets fan. I like going to nice restaurants. I like getting I my hair done. You had done. your, Hermes, I like you had your Hermes bag. You were disappointed. You were very disappointing with your Hermes bag selfie on Facebook, which I wasn't going to bring up. But now that you, you know how you much that bag I'm going to bring it up. That's my coworker's bag, not my bag. Is that a, ch- is that a chick or is that a bag. guy's bag? Is that a guy's bag or a girl's no. bag? No, that's a girl's bag. You know how much that bag costs? Oh. Probably a couple thousand. Throw right? a number out. How much? Two. Two K. Ten thousand dollars. <laughs> is that is that like the VP of the company or is somebody actually financing on a credit card ten thousand dollars for that bag? Well, that could be a bank bonus because the excess. That of bag. I just learned about this bag. It's been an education for me in this bag because they have created the exclusive exclusivity around this bag to the point that uh, you can go in, and if you want to buy it, they'll tell you we don't have any unless you spend like $100,000 in their store, and then they'll make the bag available to you. Um, oh, that's nice. So I guess that person much spent 100000 She pretty much stalked the salesperson at the Madison Avenue location for weeks and weeks and months and months and months, asking every day, what can I do to get it? What can I do to get it? And she went in there, and it just had arrived, and they gave her the option to, to buy it. Apparently, it's handcrafted over the course of two days. Uh, the leather, right. it comes with its own bag. 
I learned this this week. If it's raining outside, the bag has its own rain coat that you put over the right. bag to keep it protected while in the rain. Very nice. Here's, here's the epitome of Mets fan silliness. This is 1998. This was Piazza's month-by-month breakdown, the guy that wasn't producing. June, 318 batting average, four homers, eight RBIs. 876 OPS. RBIs are, are light. Not a great offensive team. July, 326, five homers, 14 RBIs, 997 OPS, playing catch, catching every day. August, 347, eight homers, 30 RBIs, OPS over 1,000. September, October, 378, six homers, 22 RBIs. They booed him throughout June and July. Now, there were times he didn't drive in runners from third base for less than two outs. I get it. They did everything possible to drive this man away. They were lucky that he stayed, and I'm telling you, as sure as I sit here, they will do – Mets fans are like the ownership group. They can't help but bumble. Do you realize that Forbes came out with a valuation of the Mets this week? They are now seventh in valuation. How can you be handed an asset in New York on soil with your own regional sports network with a brand-new stadium that's five or six – well, so now it's now six years old, and you are now behind the St. Louis Cardinals? in the Midwest, in terms of value? I mean, it's almost impossible in the world of banking in Wall Street in this town to have that happen. You have to work at that to have that happen. Here's your next PSA, Joe. I just gave it to you ad hoc off the top of my head. You have to go out. This is, to quote our buddy Frank Isola, more so than Phil Jackson, this is the producers of of sports. This is. Because next year when they're behind the Cubs, and who knows, maybe Milwaukee will jump ahead of them. What's going to be the excuse then? And then we have to trade Matt Harvey because, yeah, the page six, he's, you know, 20, 24 plus one, can't afford him. You know, two good 24 pitchers plus equal one, one Matt Harvey. 24 plus one by Steve Phillips back in, uh, I mean, listen, maybe they should have signed him anyway. That was, but that, that 24 was one that mentality was, was, pretty, it was pretty spot on, though. It was pretty spot on when you look at A-Rod's career, 24 plus one I'll mentality. Tell you what, it ended up being quite true. A-Rod... A-Rod came to the Mets, he would have definitely been in a better place today than he was with the Yankees. But that's a whole separate story. So you could sit there with your Hermes selfie, and you could sit there with your lunch pail or your brown paper bag, Joe, and your bologna sandwich. See, Joe, you don't look like the bologna sandwich type, to be frank. But, you know, and you could make all the excuses for these guys. The bottom line is Mets fans, until further notice, until they prove to me that they could handle this, I will go in, and I will say this and write this in blood, they'll screw up the Matt Harvey relationship. And the Wilpons will do And if they don't, the Wilpons certainly will. Okay. And if the Wilpons don't, watch Terry Collins and Dan Worth and do their damn hardest to be the next one to do that. I'll tell All you right, that. All right, Mike. And I'll tell All you All right, what. well, listen, we'll see if this is another Silver Domus moment, and we'll check back in uh, 2018, 2019, and see if you're right. I know. I, I, you know what? Mojo. 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 The libido, the life force, the essence, the right stuff. What the French call a certain... Jim Mojo Morrison. Mojo! Before we get Mojo up, one last thing, Joe. Oh, I know I did the intro song. One last thing. 
There was a cover of the New York Post back in 1996 when the Knicks fans were booing Patrick Ewing, and it was Ewing with his patented hand like this after a shot, and it said, Ewing to fans, you're annoying me. Here's your PSA. Silver to Mets fans, you annoy me. Go ahead, Mojo. You're on. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, wow, this is this is great. It's uh, very very entertaining. Uh, you know, I thought your segment with Mike Vaccaro was phenomenal. Uh, Mike is, in case people don't realize, is the reigning New York uh, Sports Writer of the Year. He was honored last year uh, by the uh, National Sports Writer Sports Writers Association, and there's a reason why. The guy is just didn't so well Sola, Didn't I Solar recently get that award? Is Mike still well, the reigning, or is it Mike? Mike got it last year because I was at the can, dinner can last year. Can we go 15 minutes without mentioning Frank Isola? I mean, he gets more mentions than I do on this show now. <laughs> no, Mike did win. Marv got put in the Hall of Fame along with uh, Peter King. But for, uh, each year they do a, a sportscaster and a sports writer from each state, and uh, Mike was the uh, winner. Ian Eagle won for the sportscaster, and Mike was the sports writer last year. So those, that, but, but it was a great segment by him. And, you know, I heard part of the reason why Lavin left St. John's is the St. John's unwillingness to pick up the tab for yes, 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 and it happened at the Coliseum T-shirts. He said that <laughs> if you do not pick up the tab for those shirts, I cannot afford to pay the price on those shirts at this point. So that's why the, it was I a have a yes, yes, shirt. yes shirt I could have given it. Hey, Mojo, not, you're not off the hook either. I know you're a Rangers fan, but this you know, transcends uh, the rivalry between Islanders well, well, Rangers you know what? about Mike, donating Joe, money for kids. If he if he meets us tomorrow, Mojo will pick up a T-shirt. You want to come to Momo's, Joe? I you want to come out to Holbrook and Momo's? There's a lot tomorrow. of there's a lot of Islanders tomorrow. fans there. You could you let me tell you if you brought that shirt. All seriousness, if you brought that shirt to Momo's, Richie the owner, who Mojo is very friendly with, will absolutely support the Make a Wish round. I mean, he does his own little. Toys for Tots in December. You might get over that twenty-five tomorrow if you could get out there. And if you gave We're me a get over one, I would have a couple hours. Next couple hours, okay. we should get over it. I can't make it, Mojo, tomorrow. I have to drive but, to Staten no, Island no, but, for no, a but, but, Joe, and I, I have to come back. And it's I will, and it's I, will com- I will commit to that T-shirt uh, for you because it's a great cause. So yes, you got me. You got me on. I'll, we'll work it out. You know, we talk off air as well. So we will get. I will do that T-shirt for the cause because it's for a wonderful right. cause. Hey, how about so. how about you have your cheap boss who owns that limousine company down in uh, North Carolina, <laughs> which is Mojo's my day job. Door, for those my, next door, my, my next door neighbor next down door there neighbor, runs can around. He buy, can, he, can he buy a few and then give them out as part of like the bonus of uh, you know booking a ride with him? You get a free It Happened at the Coliseum shirt to, a, to the 10th rider of the day or something like that. Maybe. You know, it, you know, I don't know. We, we, we'll talk about it. But, Joe, I Here's have to question. say – Okay. Yeah. Go ahead, Mojo. Sorry. No, no, no. I have to say, you know, you're you're being very cool about your Islanders right now. You know, Mike has not got let you off the hook on runaway train. Uh, you know, the Islanders are sitting there in second, but you've got the Penguins and the Capitals right there with a couple of games in hand. Ottawa now and Boston are positioned on the outer stretch, and you're just staying very calm right now, Joe. As you ha- and, and enter I've the home stretch, I've been calmer. I've been calmer. Um, listen, if they, I thought going into this stretch of Minnesota, the Kings, and the Ducks the next three games, and they got the Red Wings. I figured I wanted at least five out of eight points out of those four games. They had a one nothing third period lead against the Wild, lost the lead, lost in the shootout. Kings 2-2, under five minutes to go, lose the game. They play the Anaheim Ducks now at 1 o'clock. The Red Wings have given them problems this year. So I will start getting very nervous very quickly if they lose 
uh, again today and don't get any points. They've been fortunate that the Penguins have been banged up and that they've been losing games as well. Capitals haven't really gotten hot. Um, so everything for the Islanders is still in front of them, but time is getting shorter and shorter to start actually playing better like they did throughout the first half of the year. They can't, they can't score. They're banged up on the blue line a little bit. I think their penalty kill and goaltending has been better than it has been in, in the last three months. They're finally get a poso back, and everything's gone wrong. So the three, four things the Islander fans said, we have to get our goaltending better, we have to get our penalty kill in order, we've got to get a poso back. Those three things have happened, and they're playing the worst they've had all year long. Now, how oh, much Joe, of the blame Joe went is from... on Mike Silva's doorstep oh, for this, Joe? That's how much true. blame do you put That's... at Silva's doorstep? Why, because I went to the uh, President's Day game <laughs> and bought the hat? That was a, that was a turning point. I think we need the It Happened at the Coliseum charity shirt to kind of change the mojo, if you will. You want to <laughs> – that – listen, I've tried my best to help out here. Look, Joe, here's what you can hang your hat on. And I'm serious about this. And this is one of those, again, goes back to you can make a fake goalie controversy. There is such a thing as momentum, and hockey is such a momentum sport. Lundqvist is coming back today, and Lundqvist clearly is, clearly is the guy you want in the net. But Talbot, who was horrible when we went to the Coliseum back in February, has really been good. And the reason why they've made this surge, I'm surprised it's happened with Talbot in the net. But you almost don't want to see any changes right now because the Rangers are so hot. Oh, it's that tough. Maybe Lundqvist coming in, you know, he's back. He's been out for so long. He's almost in training camp mood. It might not be a great thing. Now, they have time before the playoffs. Here are the numbers. But who knows? Here are the numbers. When Lundqvist left the lineup, the Rangers were third in the division three points behind the Islanders, sixth in the conference. In the 25 games since Lundqvist has been out, they're 18-4-3 and and now lead the entire NHL. So the Rangers are faced with a dilemma and a little bit of apprehension, Mojo, that a team that has been playing this well and is going to be this big of a favorite in the conference to reach the finals again should not have. And the fact that the nervousness is around the face of the franchise and their overall best player – makes it a very interesting dynamic that well, you no know what team as good as they have to deal with. This reminds me, I mean, I was too young for this, but I remember my dad always talking about it. When Don Strock came in for Bob Greasy early in 72 when the Dolphins went undefeated, took him all the way undefeated for the season, and then Shula went back to Greasy in the playoffs after, you know, Strock had basically, you know, orchestrated a perfect year, and there was so much angst, you know, on Dolphin fans' minds. Well, here we go. We had this red-hot quarterback. This guy won every game, and now we're going back to this guy that's coming off of this, you know, the injury and stuff. And, you know, and it worked out for the Dolphins. But, you know, if things go south for the Rangers and Lundqvist isn't as sharp as he's been in the past, I mean, granted, he's the best goalie in hockey when he's on top of his game, but he's had a long layoff. And, you know, Vigneault is really going to be opening himself up – I mean, I wouldn't do it because I know better, but there's going to be a lot of people out there, as Mike likes to call the Mongos out there, that will basically put Vigneault to the fire if the Rangers falter by going back to Lundqvist. Well, yeah, they'll put under the coach on the fire. And also, here in the regular season, here's the curious part. He plays today, they, let's say they lose 4-3. He plays okay, you know, gives up a couple bad goals. The smartest thing for the Rangers to do is to keep putting him out there. Because right. he needs to find his way. Sure. Now, interestingly yeah, enough, Rick DiPietro, Stephen Valaket, some other goaltenders that are here in the local New York media have talked about that it's almost an advantage to Lundquist. It could be an advantage, I should say, because he's been able to work on techniques and positioning and things that you do not have the opportunity to do throughout the course of the season. 
And, and goalies sometimes end up relying too much on instinct and not enough on technique. And because of this layoff, and that's all he's been able to do, he might come back even a more refined goaltender than he was throughout the course of the season prior to the injury. So listen, I don't know if that's going to be the case or not. If that is the case, the Rangers are going to be very scary to beat if Lundqvist somehow is better uh, because of all this time off and how rested he is. Um, but it's going to be interesting over the last you know, 10, 10 to 14 days here in the season how he plays and how Ranger fans respond to the way he plays. Now, Mojo, we got Elite Eight. Give us your predictions. Obviously, I'm sure Kentucky, despite people trying to hope and pray for a Notre Dame upset. But other than Kentucky, unless you're giving me something else here and say that this well, is an upset. Well, I picked the beginning, the and, it, and, and I have the bracket to put. put. I had Kentucky. I had uh, Gonzaga, I had Wisconsin, and I had Michigan State as my final four. Wow. I didn't like the East because I, I thought uh, Villanova and Virginia, Virginia just, you know, as you saw, can't score for lengths at a time. I think Gonzaga is legit. I think they have the big man to, to play uh, Okafor straight up, and they've got the guards, they've got the wings. They've got a legit team, Gonzaga. Um, Arizona is the only one that I'm not sure of right now. I think Arizona can beat Wisconsin. I think that's going to be an epic game. But as Mike said, the problem is, is Kentucky is just so head and shoulders above everybody with their depth. And they haven't even really played well, Mojo. I mean, Kentucky. No, I agree. It's not like I feel like, oh my God, like I feel like they're just like, all right, you know, we're up ten, and then they just win by twenty, and they kind of coast. They did it against Cincinnati, which screwed up the line. I just, it's interesting if somebody could get Kentucky tight late. I'm curious how they respond because they really haven't been pushed. They were in the regular season, but now it, it's, it doesn't matter if they lost that regular season game. Now they lose, they're done. I'd like to see Notre Dame keep it close. Let's say five points. Well, they, they then, have the style, Mike, and, I, and I, it's, uh, my buddy Steve Bradley, the sports editor of the Democrat Chronicle, he got on me because when uh, Notre Dame won the ACC, I said that they were dangerous. And, you know, as a three-seed, it's kind of hard to put a team, you know, as a three-seed to be dangerous. But the way they spread guys out and they could play four guards, they could hit threes, they could break you down and take you to the basket, uh, they could give Kentucky some problems with that style. The only thing that scares you to death is they just don't have any size to go up against Kentucky. But if Bray could figure out a way, uh, you know, to, to basically box out and do a few things to mix and match uh, for a little while to, to get a lead and then see what happens, in the game. I mean, Notre Dame can give them a game well, whether or not they do give them a game. I mean, we all have the bl- blueprint to beating Kentucky. The problem is, we do. you put the players out there that can execute the blueprint right. to beating Kentucky. But their style could annoy Kentucky for a little bit. Uh, I mean, they could win the game. I don't think they will, uh, you know, if they're hitting an absorbent amount of threes. And that's going to be the key for Notre Dame. They're going to have to be, like, red hot uh, from beyond the arc. I think you have a uh, potential of a Kentucky-Duke regional final final epic with the Leitner game uh, in both the Wisconsin-Arizona and the Duke-Gonzaga games. Those two games, uh, I think, are good, could be epics. And then uh, Louisville and Michigan State could set us back to the peach baskets of Naismith, uh, where we used to take the ball out and, and, put, and jump it. Uh, that's how uh, limited the offense in that game should be with hey, those two teams. Hey, Mojo, I'll tell you what. I'll leave you with this. I'll leave you with this. Rodney Harrison just said the Jets have no chance with Geno Smith as their quarterback. Talk about a Captain Obvious statement and talk about a quarterback that brings us back to the days of, you know, Pop Warner football back in the 1930s. So, Listen, I'll, it might... I'll, give you, I'll give you epic. You want epic? I'll give you a guaranteed what? epic. 
WrestleMania oh, good 31, <laughs> Sunday night. Get the WWE Network, pay-per-view. Guaranteed entertainment, guaranteed epic. John Cena versus Are we going to get sued tonight? for running this? You know, wrestling. the Wrestling Federation sues people, you know, pretty liberally from what we remember. Are we going to get sued for running this? Because you can ask your coworker to sell her Hermes bag to put down the deposit for our retainer for a lawyer over there. Mojo, I will see you at Momo's tomorrow. I'll I will see you tomorrow, Joe. I'll work, out, I'll work out the T-shirt deal with you during the week. And, uh, Mike, I'll see Please you uh, tomorrow. Uh, games are at 2 and 5, Mike, so it works out perfect for us. Perfect. Thanks, Mojo. Mojo will be at Momo's in Holbrook, Long Island. So if you want to join us and say hello, go to Momo's in Long Island and say hello to Mojo. But I'll go to the bathroom if I don't know you and let him let him vent out if you're a psychopath or not. <laughs> and if you're a Mets fan, I should stay away probably from you altogether at this point. What a fun show, Probably. Joe. Look at that. Look at that. What a fun yeah, show. Of course, and Mojo could have your bologna sandwiches tomorrow. Bologna sandwiches at Momo's and doesn't identify with you. Matt, you know, Matt Harvey is just not one of us, and we can't, we can't embrace <laughs> him because he doesn't have bologna sandwiches and cut off the, uh, the crust on the edges. Mike McCarroll, the New York Post, thank you for joining us earlier. Chris Corelli of Yankees Unscripted. Check out yankeesunscripted.com. I want to thank you as well. Check out the show live or on replay at WeCanWatchThose.com. And send us a tweet at Media to me, at jbono611. Joe, enjoy WrestleMania, Hall of Fame, whatever it may be, and uh, maybe we can recap <laughs> it next week. All righty? You got it. Take care, my friend.